an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. Hello. Hey. How are you? Hey, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Here we find ourselves. Oh, the world is opening up again. <laughs> yeah. We've, Whether we've, it should be or had, not. We've, yes, we've, we've had a weekend of battles on the street. It's... Um, yeah. So, so what we thought we'd do is go to the cozy world of the nineteen fifties and and horrible murders. Yeah, the world, and, um, the world in general is on fire. So let's sort of like cozy up to murder. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, I, I think that is actually an interesting uh, uh, point to take uh, in the sense that we uh, we know that from a certain point of view, certain people think they want to bring back a nineteen fifties Britain. Yes, oh, um, of course. And 1950s Britain, that horrible, homophobic, racist, sexist place full of, um, what's the word? What was the word? Uh, rationing. That was the word. <laughs> and, 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 and things like that. And, and people seem to think this was an ideal time. And of course, oh. in many ways, I believe, I believe that sometime that idea of that world has been created by a series like Miss Marvel. I think, you're I think, I think the you're image right. that people have of village life and... Yeah. Um, and and this ideal world where everybody was sort of in and out and people didn't lock their doors and all this kind of thing comes from this kind of image this sort of picture postcard image of britain yeah. uh, which uh, came from a series which the series we are doing today is agatha christie's miss marple the bbc version yeah the the only version <laughs> <laughs> which ran from uh, uh, 1984 to 1992 which surprised me i thought it was on for many more years than that yeah. but the actual uh, productions were in that eight-year period at the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. so. With Joan Hickson. Starring? Joan Hickson, Joan who Hickson. was the... I think she was the oldest person ever to become a leading lady in a TV show at 78. Um, yeah. Right. And she carried on all the way through, thankfully. Did all 12 Marple adaptations, even though Indeed. initially they thought they could only do nine only. Still a lot. Mm because the other three yes. were tied up because they'd previously been films. Um, yes. But then they got to do them all, despite the fact that Joan 
refused to do any more after 10. After Caribbean Mystery, she said, no, that's your lot. Yes. But they coaxed her back. They coaxed <laughs> Come out of your little house. And, yes. And everybody loves you. You're great. Yes. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, there's lots to say. I mean, one, sto- no, one story is. I must tell you about later, because okay. I think we'll just keep, keep you in suspense on this one. Is the time okay. the time I re- received a cease and desist notice from the Agatha Christie estate? <laughs> well, here we go, and uh, that's that's the end of today's episode. <laughs> so I'll explain what, what I, did you do? I'll explain what happened there later. But uh, it was all the fault of Miss Marple. It's not my fault. I'll explain anyway. Um, <clears throat> but you mean Joan Hickson? No. Well, well, in a way, in a way, yes, as I will come to explain. Um, Okay. I'm intrigued now, which is good. It is good. But that's the thing about Miss Marple, you set up a mystery. Exactly. You sort of let it drip feed throughout. Where's my plan? (laughs) (laughs) So we must tell the anecdote that's told wrongly, which is that Agatha Christie herself sent Hickson a note that read, I hope one day you will play my dear Miss Marple. But um, Mm -hmm. it wasn't when she went to see Appointment with Death, as everyone always says, it was a different play altogether. Um, right. They just like to make it an Agatha Christie play because it makes it feel neater. But um, right. I should explain that there's a book that I've been reading an e-version of, which I have ordered the print version of, which is a brilliant book by Mark, Mark Aldridge called Agatha Christie on Screen. And I didn't know it existed, and I'm really excited about it. Have you got it? Uh, we have several because uh, my better half is a big Christie ah. fan. We have, we have lots and lots of... Uh, that kind of book. Whether we've got that specific one, I'm not entirely. I think it's sure. fairly new. Uh, fairly new. Ah, well, yeah. maybe not. Yeah. But uh, I think there's a there's a very good Poirot one due out fairly soon. That's by him as well. That's by him. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. So, <laughs> yes. But uh, but we yeah we've got sort of Agatha Christie on screen. Uh, there is there is a there is a, a one we bought that was like uh, encyclopedia of and everything like oh. that. So we have lots and lots of of that kind of thing. Um, I suppose we should briefly touch on the career of, of dear Agatha yes do yeah start. yeah and tell me about your first the, your first experience of Agatha Christie as well personally oh my first yeah. experience oh, my first experience was probably um the Peter Ustinov films oh yeah so, um I I do remember I mean I have a, a few old copies of photo play magazine from from uh, the late 70s mm. in, in a box somewhere and uh, I think uh, Death on the Nile was just coming out so that was probably I, I didn't I mean uh, my better half she, she used to read them you know when she was far too young to read them <laughs> <laughs> but but they had them in the house uh, the, the big crime fiction uh, fans ah. so, so they used they uh, so I think actually in many ways I should I should just set myself aside here and, and let her sit in <laughs> for the rest of this because because if you if you if you want a Christie expert in the house it, I suspect it's not me I'm, I'm oh, probably maybe I should be doing this with Pip instead I should be doing this. <laughs> come on Pip get to the get to the microphone <laughs> I, can't, I can't get her to podcast oh, okay there we go ah. <laughs> uh, so still no um so yes now probably the Ustinov versions and then um and then possibly even i i i've i've not i've not read as many of them as as i should mm. you know uh but she but i mean but christy she was writing for about 50 years wasn't she i mean she was a very successful writer yeah. for about 50 years and, the, and people always go on about this mysterious week where she vanished yes. you know, which was as much as anything seems to be to do with 
her husband being a bit of a turd. One. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Max Mellowen. Yes. Uh, and 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 <clears throat> so on. Yeah. Um, we have stayed at the uh, the the same the hotel the way she was found in. Uh, we went there for my fiftieth uh, birthday. Ah, uh, is that in Harrogate? The old sw- the old Swan at Har- in uh, Harrogate. Yeah. Yes, we stayed there, and we stayed in one of the suites which has framed Christie mem- memorabilia oh, on cool. the walls. You know, which of course got me excited because one of the uh, playbills uh, featured Reginald Tate. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> Who was the first Quatermass, so ah, I got terribly excited by, by the fact that. that. Was, uh, then you explained. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who obviously died before they made the second Quatermass, hmm. so it was kind of. Um, that, that that sort of dates it specifically to the early 50s. But uh, Have you been to Greenway? I have not. Oh, I've been to Greenway, yes. And I'm, I'm now even more pleased I've been to Greenway since I've discovered that in order to get both Miss Marple and Poirot off the ground, that both Joan Hickson and David Suchet had to go to Greenway to court the Ooh. her family to persuade them to let them go ahead. Mm. Um, which I didn't realise they actually made that pilgrimage to Greenway to, to you know, they had to personally persuade and make, make relationships with them. Yeah. yeah. That is interesting. I've seen the, uh, the footage where I think... Uh, Joan Hickson meets David Suchet in some event or other. There's a little bit of film on the internet. Of that yeah. Where they were, there was some event where the both of them were in character. Yes. Uh, I've seen photographs. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's uh, mm. but that is that is interesting. You know, this whole sort of thing about <laughs> about uh, the Christie estate uh, and you know, I mean, you forget how incredibly successful she was. Oh. You know, just. Yeah, in, in terms in, of worldwide in, in, but as, as a writer, yeah. as, as as a playwright as well, you know the, the plays are all very. I mean, you think of the Mousetrap. Mm. I mean, Mousetrap's been running what a hundred million years. Yeah, so I think it's about that. Still, nobody knows who did it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to tell no. you. Here. <laughs> yeah, um, I did see the touring version a few years ago. Very good. We, but, sh- we um, should um, talk about early Miss Marples. I think. I think that would be a good mm. thing to do. So you've got Margaret Rutherford, who was in. Murder, she said, which was I think was a version of four fifty from Paddington, and mm. then there was also you see Murder Ahoy, which I think was was completely made up. Ahoy. But... <laughs> yes, well, they all had elements, and, and, and you know they had elements in the same way the ITV up Marple has elements. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, God. but the uh, the thing is, actually, in, funnily enough, the Margaret Rutherford versions are very very likable. They're very enjoyable films. They're they're not great adaptations of the work. Yeah. And and Margaret Rutherford, you know, is a very eccentric performer, mm. but they are actually really enjoyable films. And of course, Joan Hickson is in one. Yes, uh, briefly, you know, but but you get this moment on screen where where you see Margaret Rutherford and you see Joan Hickson in the same frame, and you just my mind melts. Yes, it's like a bit like the Blinovich limitation effect, isn't it? <laughs> He's just oh, you know, oh, the, the two marbles. <laughs> And of course, that <laughs> connection led to um, Margaret Rutherford becoming the godmother to Joan Hickson's son. There you go. So, Everything is connected. Nice connection. The, the dots all join. Really. But what I didn't know until I read um, sections from this Mark Aldridge book was that there was an attempt mm. to dramatise Miss Marple in the first case in, in, on TV in 1974 okay. with an actress called Barbara Mullen. But right. Christie was still alive just right. and she was dead against tv she didn't like tv and 
no, that was it was not going to happen. Um, now you see, Barbara Mullen in in my head is is not not who she probably is. But I'm <laughs> thinking, is isn't isn't that the the woman who was in Emu's broadcasting? <laughs> <laughs> we always come back to Emu with you. <laughs> we have to do an Emu episode, even though it's not drama. <laughs> Barbara Mullen was Janet McPherson in Dr. Finley's casebook for 191 right. episodes, gosh. Oh, Janet, yes. Yes, so she would have been yeah. well known to TV audiences. Um, yes. Yeah. But it was not to yes. be. And then no. I think Christie dies in 77? Yes, I think so, 76, 77. So then. Certainly the mid, mid 70s. Her daughter, Rosalind Hicks, takes over managing of the estate and what would happen with her work. Uh, and, and writing you letters. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was Matthew Pritchard who wrote me a letter. <laughs> <grandson>. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Um, <laughs> was that his real name? <laughs> God, the things I could I want to say about Matthew Pritchard on this podcast. Uh, okay. We want to get. We don't want to get TV drama pod um, cease and desist to do it. <laughs> Honestly, I thought the Terry Nation estate was litigious. You wait. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So, we should talk about getting to the start of Miss Marple, coming together. It was, I think, as early as 82, so a few years before it actually yes. came onto the screen. <clears throat> and it was lovely guy Slater. It was his brainchild mm. who had produced the extremely variable The Cleopatras. <laughs> Oh, you're watching that, I believe. Well, I, I've watched it, and the, the, the um, instalment will have already been on around the archives oh. by now, so that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm so trying to get hold of a copy of it. I thought I can't get that. It's on YouTube. Oh, it is fully. Yeah, oh, fully. I could only... Oh, right. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Oh. Oh, well, there goes the week. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say I didn't warn you about the variable quality, though. No, well, I remember it from, from first transmission. Oh, do you? Being... Variable. Yeah. Oh my lord! That was also the last time I saw it, so my memories of it. Uh, yeah. Anyway. anyway, so Guy Slater helmed a very odd production there, um, but he'd also mm. done Nanny, which was much more period historical, solid, yes. stable, and much more in the Miss Marple vein. And I, I did enjoy Nanny yes. as well. And and this is this is as strong and solid. And I think what Guy Slater pulls off here is something nothing short of incredible. Well, he did. Wasn't weren't there a couple of Christie adaptations before they decided to do the Marple one? Yeah. So the Tommy and Tuppence um, partners in crime was the thing that kind of broke the seal because Rosalind Hicks yeah. loved those, and she was like, "Oh yes, maybe we can do some more now." Um, but I think what I always get confused about is the fact that Francesca Annis and James Warwick played other characters in wasn't it why didn't they ask Evans before that right. and they weren't Tommy and Tuppence even though they are basically the same characters right. yeah so this is sort of like sort of it was kind of like casting oh, auditions almost yeah and then there was um, Cheryl Campbell in the Seven Dials mystery which was the other big 1980-ish one so yeah. there was a few before but not many right and the, but these were all uh, done by LWT. Oh, LWT. Yeah, no, that's LWT. Yeah, yeah. Full ITV. I thought there'd been some BBC versions that that led to the Marple. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Oh, right. It was down to the combination of Guy Slater, 
and Joan Hickson, <laughs> once she was on board, oh. actually going to the estate and saying, look, this is the deal. And oh, okay. yeah. Um, so Guy Slater got some great writers on board as well. T.R. Bowen, who is the actor Trevor Bowen, who actually briefly appears in the Cleopatras, weirdly. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, you know more about him than you'd like. <laughs> I couldn't work out who he was, to be honest. I lost track. Uh, I don't terrible. think he was a big part, but um, no. <laughs> Oh, don't say that. And it wasn't painted gold, although a lot of things were. No, right, fair enough. Um, which, which again, weirdly, then sets up the whole thing of writers appearing as actors because you've got um, what's his face in this as well? Who? In one of these? Who? Peter Tilbury. Oh, who's Peter Tilbury? Peter Tilbury is in. Um, um, Nemesis. And is he? What? He's a writer. He's a writer. Oh, okay. Best known for the sitcom It Takes a Worried Man. Oh, okay. Gosh. So sorry. No, yes. No, just, okay. just so Trevor Bowen, I think, adapted the first one, Body in the Library, which was the one that was the tryout one, and Rosalind Hicks had to be completely happy with it for it to go ahead to more series. But I think what I was, what I was going to say was that he just pulled this amazing tricks later in that sense that it was publicly acclaimed and also critically acclaimed as actually art not just an enjoyable murder mystery but seen as properly good television and yes. the Agatha State was completely happy with it and they had a brilliant Miss Marvel yes. and I just don't know, yes. sometimes I think it's a perfect storm, it just all collides right and it just did for this It's it's very beautifully done, I mean uh, when you when you look at the broadcast dates, they weren't that far apart, you know yeah. the, 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 the first three-parter is only two months before you know the moving finger is on yeah. so 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 they must have shown it them and then said yes do some more <laughs> before it was brought yes absolutely the, 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 yeah because they because the moving finger and murders announced went into production in summer 84 and i think yes. body and library was probably done in the spring or, or earlier even Mm. Yeah, and pocket full of rise in that same run as well. Yeah, so kind of this series. The fourth of, one, yeah. so, they, so they do three stories. Mm. Um, but yes, it's um, it's 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 one of those things actually, and I, I maintain this uh, with with Poirot. Poirot, despite being uh, one of those ITV series that that can go one way or the other, was actually very good. Yeah, and and it feels definitive. Yeah, you know, and feels properly done. And <clears throat> to be honest, that's the thing about the Miss Marple series that the BBC did, these 12 films. They all feel definitive. Yeah. Whether or not they are absolutely you know, spot-on uh, adaptations of the stories is debatable. But the actual uh, 12 stories, they feel like they're proper. Again, in the same way that, to a certain extent, Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes, they feel like the proper yeah. version. Yeah. And everything else... Is then it's the benchmark if you like. Mm -hmm. This is the production by which all other versions of Miss Marple, even Christie to a certain extent, will be compared. Totally. And it's also from a time when there was a kind of respect for the material, and people didn't dick about with it. Yes. Too much. And the person who dicked about the least was Alan Plater. 
La la la. Mm. <laughs> Which brings us, because what we are going to do, I know I know we've had a lot of preamble, <laughs> but what we are going to do is talk about two of the productions, yeah. which is specifically A Murder is Announced, and then that was the third production, and then Nemesis, which was the eighth. Yeah. So they're both sort of from the middle of the run. Well, it's early and late, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what I mean is, I mean Nemesis. I mean there are, there's there's four more productions after Nemesis yeah. that that uh, take place over five years. Yes, you know, exactly. So, so there, so th- this is kind of it's almost like Nemesis is almost peak Christie, and it feels in many ways like an ending. I mean, it's the last book, the last story that was written. Yes. Even though there was another one published later. Yeah. Uh, but this was the actual last. Ri- yeah. the Nemesis specifically was the last exactly. story written by Christie. Yeah. The last Miss Marple. Mm. Yeah, not the last Christie. Not the last Christie. Because the last Christie is Poston of Fate. And honestly, it's an utter mess. It's really sad. (laughs) I read it last year and I couldn't believe how muddled it was and repetitive. And I was like, oh God. Have you said this in public places before? (laughs) That's not why. (laughs) I've come to the reason. (laughs) So you're you're weaving these clues. I know. Which is very wise. Very wise. Um... <coughs> I just want to read a review of the Moving Finger from the. I'm afraid it's from the Daily mm. Telegraph, but um, this oh. this quote I just think sums up <coughs> everything about what Guy Slater achieved. Once again, Guy Slater's production is built around the brilliant performance of Joan Hickson, behind whose faded blue eyes and spinsterish sibilance the wheels of detective intelligence can be seen positively whirring around. The Enterprise is impeccably cast, beautifully ordered, lovingly photographed. What I still don't understand is when all this started. Oh, ages ago, I imagine, soon after Miss Holland arrived. All those anonymous letters typed on that machine of his before giving it away to the Women's Institute. It was all a smokescreen, you see. He wanted everybody to suspect a woman, and they did. Everyone watching the smoke, no one seeing the fire. And, of course, his main purpose was murder. How absolutely cold-blooded. It was. He is. I, I absolutely adore... Um, Joan Hickson's performance. I think it, it's it's an absolute masterclass in understated brilliance. Yeah. And what fascinates me is because <laughs> of the nature of what we're doing, I did <laughs> briefly step into the Maya that is the um, ITV Marple <laughs> series. May you be <laughs> forgiven. <laughs> well, I've very... I've, I, over the years, we've very rarely managed to get through a complete one. Uh, the ITV did have, have made six series of Muppel so far, uh, of of varying various uh, various scripts that do or do not uh, from books that do or do not initially feature the character, yeah. uh, but they've managed to stretch it out to six series, uh, three of which were with. Um, Oh God! What's her name? Geraldine? No, Geraldine McEwen. McEwen. Thank you, Geraldine McEwen, and the and the other series featured oh, Julia McKenzie. Julia McKenzie. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, the Julia McKenzie ones consistently feel better, but they're not great. Now, <laughs> it's so all right. Form- I'm sorry. Well, this is the difference between Rosalind Hicks being on the tiller. Um, mm. As her daughter, as um, Agatha Christie's daughter, and the grandson Matthew Pritchard, who would basically right. sell his grandmother's work under the bus every time for whatever money, 
because he doesn't give a shit about the authenticity or the quality of Christie um, and how it's adapted. And that's the difference. So there I, you go. Uh, <laughs> I, I must admit, we, we, well, no, I mean, we've given up on the more recent uh, Christmas uh, special three-part things they've been doing. Mm-hmm. Over the last few years, because for the very same reason, they they mess with it. Well, I think much. I think some of them work more as 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 a good piece of drama, but I don't think they they don't mm-hmm. feel Christy to me. But they're okay as drama. Yeah. Well, it's almost like the, the, this generation have grown up and are slightly embarrassed by it. And actually, when you, when you analyze these books, they are they are perfectly perfectly structured. You know, they are they are um, puzzles, but they are you know. Everything works. They are absolutely finely structured to to the letter, and they are brilliant. Yes, you know pieces of you know puzzle. Yeah, they are brilliant, and and you are not cheated by these. And quite often, what tends to happen is that someone comes along and goes, "Oh well, I think Christie really meant to do this, and would have done if she'd been writing now." Mm. And this is all hogwash, yeah. basically. You know, you actually, if you if you go back to the source material, it is. It is, I'm not saying it's perfect because there's. I mean, there's a lot of people who you know, see her as a nasty old racist. There's a lot of people <laughs> who see her as, um, you know, uh, of her, of her time. Yeah. And there's a lot of writing that it, within Christie that is of its time. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, you know, the actual structure of the stories. I mean, you think of a, a story like "And Then There Were None," yeah. which is what we're going to call it. Yeah, is um, it it it's. An exercise. It's a it's a it's an intellectual exercise in how do you actually bump everybody off in the story, yes. <laughs> you know, and and still make a valid story. But it works very well, yeah. you know. You 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 get almost like with, with a lot of Christies is is you've you've the, things like some of the Poirot series. You know, you've got can I write a story where they all do it? <laughs> yeah. You know, can I write a story where the victim did it? Can I write a story where where the you know the only person who could possibly have done it, you know, is 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 the person who you would least least expect yeah. to do it. I mean, if you think about Curtin, I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't I don't like. We, I suppose I, we should have started this whole thing with a big spoiler alert. We're going to spoil. Yes, something. well, we're saying it now. Yeah. We are going to spoil who did the murders in both the murders announced and Nemesis, and probably some other Christies as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you take the you take these uh, these these intellectual exercises and and weave really good stories yeah now like i say you can now be you know you can you can be offended by you know aspects of them which is is, is entirely your right to do mm. so but but generally speaking the actual structure of the stories still holds up and what the the adapter struggles with sometimes is to to maybe put their own mark on it yeah. whilst whilst um being true to the source material yeah and with specifically with the first one we were looking at plater does it incredibly well yeah the three the three-part version of a murder is announced which was uh, broadcast in february and march 1985 is an absolute masterclass yeah. in adapting a book for television and it's regard it's beautiful and it's widely regarded as the most um authentic and in keeping with the text it's the closest well my better half read the book last week ah. <laughs> uh, and basically tell it tells me that apart from a few sort of the, the ends a bit different yes but the um the actual everything 
pretty much in the plot is in the in the adaptation. Yeah. You know, if if you look at Nemesis, Nemesis plays a bit more fast. And yes. Loose. It doesn't play ITV fast and loose. No. I.e. <laughs> changing fast, the whole story and everyone's sexuality and everything. Everything. <laughs> yes. And, yeah, I mean, which, which, okay, you can understand why that does. I mean, my, my problem with um, with the ITV version, the, specifically the early ones, the, the, the adaptation of A Murder is Announced, is, I mean, for one thing, you get Zoe Wanamaker as... Um, Miss Blacklock. Uh, Miss Blacklock. And, and that's already messing with your head because of her appearance in a lot of the parts yeah. which 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 actually makes makes you wonder whether that's precisely to take suspicion away oh, from. I see. but 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 there's an awful lot of problems just with it, it's very subtle but the i i maintain that that she the character of marple is too arch in the oh yeah version. she's she's too knowing yeah. she's too she pulls faces. She's, she, she. You know, she'll 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 sort of go. Mm, I've told you a clever thing, and 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 again, that all comes from direction and everything like that. You know, but she's not understated. They've also almost made her into a mentalist. If, if mentalist is the yeah, word. no, I know what you mean. Not in the Alan Partridge yeah. sense. In the, Whereas when, <laughs> in, the, when, in the yeah, when Miss Marple, um, as Joan Hickson says, oh, well, I'm just a I'm just a harmless old lady. You can see people are perceiving mm. us like that, and she also can mm. appears like she's going off on one, and she's just to be, mm. she's just an idiot, an old old woman. Mm. But you never get that with those other marples. Well, it's it's a nod and a wink to the audience. Yeah. Oh, you know, I you all know I'm the cleverest person. I know I'm the cleverest person. And what ITV do they 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 get a, they get a, an all star cast. You know, you get Alexander Armstrong yeah. as the detective. You get Catherine Tate as the uh-huh. um, uh, cook, which is slightly bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get the you get uh, Keely Hawes uh, mm-hmm. turns up in it, you know, and they're all playing it at, at eleven. Yes, you know, what I and mean? the problem is it's all turned up and to the eleven. Is, and it's like they know they're in a Christie. But the thing is, you know, it's production. Catherine Tate, and you know it's Keely Hawes, and you know it's Zoe Wanamaker. So it takes you out of it completely. This is the problem I have with all this star casting of dramas. It's not mm. a good thing to do. One of the reasons mm. why the Miss Marples were so the original Miss Marples was so good is because that you believed in these characters 100% because yes, you knew there's some great old character actors in there and some up and coming actors, but they didn't cast the stars of the time. And Mm. if they had, it would have fallen over. You had to Mm. believe in these characters first and then think about who Mm. was the actors second. But it's, yeah. Well, you see, I mean, it's really hard to define why the ITV series fails to charm, or at least fails to charm me. I mean, it's been popular, and obviously the Mexican series, so people watched it. Um, but it it fails to charm in in many ways. I mean, you know, these these are this is a you know a set of books, a set of stories that have you know lots of good parts for women, which is you know admirable, mm-hmm. you know. But somehow, and and it's interesting to me that that we we talked about this at home a few weeks ago, and it's like the palette feels wrong. Yeah. The, pa- the palette is all over the place. It's like they're all almost in fancy dress. They're almost like at a, in, in an Agatha Christie theme. Yeah, party, yeah, absolutely. If that and it, that comes down, that comes weird. down to costume as well and hair and all that stuff. It's overdone. Mm. It's too much. And yet, when you go back to the the BBC version, yeah. and watch A Murder Is Announced, it feels like a real world. It really does. And it could be grainy film. It could be you know it, it could be pre digital. It. I'd, you know, it could just be the production design. Totally. Ray Kuzik 
Yeah, Ray Kusick of all people did it, yeah. yeah. Mr. Dalek himself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's just beautiful. It's it, you believe you've been transported to the fifties. And when we when we go right back to our very first podcast when we talk about old creatures, the BBC did that astonishingly well. Yeah. You know, they could recreate a world in a street that you believed existed. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. It, it, there's something that doesn't work for for me for the ITV show, which is a shame because, like I say, the Poirot works incredibly well. You know, and ITV do do some incredible. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I could be quite dismissive of the whole oeuvre, but the truth is that you know, uh, Lewis Morse Endeavour are all very, you know, high quality and look beautiful. You know, whereas some other shows yeah, don't work as well. And that's a good link back. Of course, we have Morse's sidekick, who this is his audition, <laughs> isn't it? This is effectively Kevin Whitley's audition. audition. Yes, I've written that down as well. Yeah. He's auditioning for Lewis. He plays exactly the same role as Lewis uh, about a year earlier yeah. in this in, in the Murderers and Ethics. Yeah. And we must then therefore go on to Inspector Craddock, who is wonderfully played by John Castle, our favourite posthumous Agrippa from my Claudius. <laughs> Who is... There's a lot of Claudians oh, in there this. Are. I, I noticed. And there would have been more. <laughs> ah, now, did you know this? Did you know who was originally they tried to cast as Miss Blackcock? I did not. Ah, Margaret Tyzak. Ah, the very Tyzak. Yes. Wow, the Clotilda herself. Yeah, they, they held on to it till <laughs> later. Till later. So they brought her back and said, well, she wasn't available, so we'll have someone else. Yeah. Wow. But I can see her. I can see her. Mass? No, I no. can see her doing it, though. I can see her doing um, uh, Miss Black Fox very easily. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, these are, these are the, you know, the, 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 oh, they are, I mean, they, like you say, they are the cream, without being well known, but they are the cream of, 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 um, of their era. Totally. You know, it's astonishing. I mean, Ursula Howells, we should say, did get the role of Miss Blacklock, and she is stunning. Um, it's definitive, isn't it, it? It feels definitive now. Yeah. You can't imagine anybody else doing it, weird. And it actually yeah. requires quite a lot of range, and she's an unlikely murderess. Now, watch... Sorry, yeah. you just said it. She is the murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers! Um, but the point is that she... If you're watching it knowing then it kind of mm. feels obvious that she is the murderer, but then that's just because you know. Mm. But if you, yes. I remember being absolutely shocked to my core to see no, her... When it was first uh, When yeah. to discover that was it, and I was like, oh my mm. God. I mean, I was certain it was either Julia or Patrick or one of the younger ones or, you know, or Mrs. Easterbrook or... Patrick, is this your doing? No, indeed, Aunt Lucy. Whatever gives you that idea? I thought it might be your idea of a joke. I can think of much better jokes than announcing murders in the local rag. Julia? Of course not. Do you think Mrs. Haynes? I don't think our Philippa would try to be funny. She finds it difficult enough being serious. Or anything. It's obviously some sort of silly hoax. But why? It's very stupid. And in very bad taste. Bunny, there's nothing to get worked up about. It's obviously somebody's idea of humour. But it says today. Today. At seven o'clock. What do you think is going to happen? Easy. 
The angel of death will spread his wings on the blast. I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. At seven o'clock this evening, half the village of Chipping Claycorn will be banging on the door of God with curiosity. Yes, I'd better go and see if there's any sherry in the house. That's the beauty of Plater's uh, uh, screenplay for this. Yeah. Um, and it's directed by David Giles, isn't it? David yes, who directed the Foresight mm. Saga and lots of other biggies back in the day. Yeah, but the lightness of touch. What, what I've I was asking the question last yeah. week is how the, the way at the I mean the the very beginning of this. I mean, let, let, we should do a quick synopsis. Is that a murder is announced yeah. <laughs> in the local paper, and basically all the local uh, great and the good of uh, the village of clipping. No, Chipping Cleghorn, yeah. not Clipping Chegman. <laughs> completely different place. Yeah. Chegman lives there. One of, one of the Chippings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, gather at the at the the house where this murder has been announced, and and indeed a murder happened. Yeah. And and then obviously uh, the, the whole uh, plot from then on is is trying to find the solution as to why and how this murder occurred. Yeah. Uh, but the beauty of this this opening. The lightness of touch is how you are introduced to a very large cast of characters, yes. all of whom are very similar. Mm. All are introduced in sometimes half a line of dialogue. They are gorgeously built. Now, I, I asked whether this was Plater or whether this was Christie. Now, they all get about half a page in the book, yeah. but this is Plater being absolutely masterful at just... The, you, you get the relationship between the colonel and his yes. wife like that you know you get the the relationship uh, between uh hinch and murgatroyd oh, yeah in a moment yeah you know it's just it's, it's the economy structured. it's the economy it is, it's, that it's, we saw in for, word, failing it, that we saw in fortunes of war it's the same thing that and uh, that we saw in by Beck. they he knows mm. just how and that that's just enough to write to give you enough to understand their relationships completely yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a bit where um, Sylvia Sims, as the Colonel's wife, just pulls her face and just it's it's just a wonderful moment. Yeah. It says everything yeah. about their relationship, yeah. you know. And um, and of course, everybody's set up as a suspect. They all look a bit dodgy, mm -hmm. but they're all also this is just how they are in this in this village. Now, I mean, the whole thing about um, the character of Miss Marple is that everything can be. Uh, related to the village she lives in, all human life is there, yeah. and you get an insight into. I mean, there's this uh, beautiful moment about where she talks about the butcher, isn't there? In in, uh, in, in St Mary Mead, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and how and how she knew this guy was a, a wrongan because of <laughs> he was exactly the same as this butcher. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's just fabulous mm. stuff. And um, I mean, you, you know, to be honest, even from the production design, you learn everything you need to know from the Colonel because he has a. The Union flag in his front car. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know that again. That's that's presumably a Ray Ray Cusick touch, but it's just yeah, that's it fits. Well, that tells you everything about. It. This was in the days when people could fly flags without people being suspicious. Yeah. Of them, of yes. So um, <sighs> just to say a bit more about Plater, his he was really drawn to this particular one because mm. of the strength of the female characters. Um, mm. And in fact, that's why he said he loves Christie because of the strength of the female characters. I mean, the things we've seen, mm. he's written very good female characters. But what I would say is it's not necessarily this thing of the strong female character, which 
mm. which is something I agree with, that all female characters don't have to be strong. They just have to be well-written. And quite yes. often that you have people deliberately trying to write women in as strong just so they've got a, a strong female character. Well, no, let's just mm. have well-drawn and well-written female characters and lots of them, as many as the men. And mm. that is what occurs in these Miss Marples. And his is an exemplary version. And I think particularly the way he writes Mrs. Harmon, the vicar's wife, mm. who is who is so understated and so obvious and so plain in many ways, mm. but she's perfectly realised. And mm. then you have, and of course best, best um, emphasised by the point when she just comes into Little Paddocks and she says, Hello, Miss Blacklock. Hello, I'm not too late, am I? When does the murder begin? <laughs> no, you're not too late. Everybody's still intact. Julian's simply frantic with rage. He can't be here. He adores murders. He writes some of his best sermons when he's in the middle of a good thriller. You know, with four or five decent corpses littered about the place. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm talking too much. No, no, you're not. When's the murder going to begin? Well, if it's going to begin, it ought to happen soon. It's just one minute to seven. Well, time to pour the sherry, I think. Patrick? Yes, and everyone else has made up an excuse point, about yes. whatever it is. Yes. Oh, we've come to do this. We've come to do yeah. that. Yes. Oh, oh, the central. And again, this is the thing: little, little bits of clues are dropped, yeah. and you don't notice them because it's so deftly well, it done. Was, it the was whole thing about the central heating. Yeah. Oh no, that was the thing. That was yeah. the thing. I couldn't remember what the reason for the central heating. And all I said, I, I kept saying to Marisa, "This is important. The central heating. The heat's being mentioned. Chekhov's heating. <laughs> the heating is important." And it wasn't till the end where they said it was so there couldn't be a fire, so it would light up the room. And I was like, "Oh God, of course that's yes. it." But, uh, but see, there's a beautiful thing. I mean, we were talking uh, when we when we talked about uh, History Man about whether books sometimes work better on the page than they work as adaptations. Mm. And uh, and I, I think sometimes with with Christie, you do wonder, you know, because they are these these steel traps, you know, these finely sort of honed things that whether or not they would actually whether they work well and yet obviously the ones that work as stage plays work as stage plays but they, this is just beautiful I mean this is the only other three part one isn't it is the body in the library has three parts mm. and this one and all the rest I was of intrigued by parts. that because the what the because whether the the, the other books are less complex or, or short well they're not because because I one of my favourite Christie's that I read in fact I think it's yeah. my favourite Christie that I read was Pocket Full of Rye and that right. is very much extended on the version that we see on screen. There's a load yes. more to it. There's so many more characters and there's so much more interaction. And yes. and but I I do like the pocket full of Rye adaptation. I think it's very mm. it's economic actually. It's Plater in its economicness. Mm. It's not Plater, but but um mm. but Murders announced. I think they've decided we will give it its time, and I think it was a good decision. Yes. I mean, I, I believe that, again, like with most of these things, it, with, with uh, Poirot, there are titles you remember, you know, um, Death on the Nile, um, Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. And I think possibly Body in the Library, Murder is Announced, are the ones you remember. Um, it interests me, actually, later on uh, with Nemesis, that there's quite a large scene in a library. It's like the, the adapter is saying, yeah, we, you you expect there to be a library. There's a death in the library. There's a body in the library in, in Nemesis. Yeah. You know, which, of course, doesn't happen in no, the book. No, it's, it's a rock fall in the book, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting choice. It certainly is. 
Um, like you say, murder at the vicarage. The important saying is you've got this this small, um, this small village life feeling mm. of, uh, in, around the stories. But but the ones that people really remember, I think, are either you know the ones that were made into big films uh, with um, Elizabeth Taylor in. <laughs> you know, but I mean, four fifty from Paddington is memorable. But I'm not sure people actually remember a Caribbean mystery as a title. Yeah. No, I know even mean, though yeah. it's a fabulous story, it's just that when when if you would say people they would list six Miss Marple stories, I'd you know the ones that would come up would be Body in the Library, Murder is Announced, yeah, totally, you know, Murder at the Vicarage probably. Yeah. Um, it's know. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I love Bertrand's. I think Bertrand's is a fabulous production, adapted by Jill Hyam, no less. Mm. <laughs> no, I need to enable my bell again. Yeah. Well, because I got to know I got to know Carolyn Blakiston as a result. That's the connection. There. Yes. Indeed. But um, huh. there's also a lovely little cameo in uh, uh, a murder is announced by uh, dear old David Collings as the vicar. Ah, yes, and it's not he's not um, in it very much at all. But he's not very in it very much at all. But there, he has this beautiful moment when when he's in the church and they announce that J- Aunt Jane is coming to stay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's just, uh, oh, there's been a murder, has there? And she's turning up, but there's a surprise. <laughs> I love this thing of a distant niece. I love that phrase. That oh, this extended she, family of She's Martins. not just a niece. She's a distant niece. Mm. So that means, distant niece. is she actually a niece? I don't think she is. But no. I don't know what that means, a distant niece. I just love that. Yes. Yeah. Inspector, I should be staying in Chipping Cleghorn for the next few days. I don't suppose there's anything I can do, but I shall in fact be at the vicarage in case you should want me. The vicarage? Uh, Mrs. Harmon, the vicar's wife, is a distant niece, so I took the liberty of inviting myself. So uh, I may perhaps see you again in Chipping Cleghorn. I dare say. What? Um, they want me to be Archbishop of Canterbury. Very close. Aunt Jane's coming to stay. Oh, even better. I knew you'd be pleased. Aunt Jane is coming to stay. I seem to remember telling you so a minute ago. A man dies in highly suspicious circumstances here in Chipping Cleghorn, and suddenly Aunt Jane is coming to stay. Yes, I noticed that too. Mm. I think there's also a scene uh, quite near the beginning, which I suspect you'll have to play in, which is the uh, the bit where they talk about uh, where they talk about with the manager about Rudy's past, or is, uh, with his girlfriend, and it's all this stuff about for- foreigners <laughs> and missing stuff and poles and Americans and oh, yeah. and, and yeah, that's, that's a lovely scene, mm. you know, just plays very well. Yeah. Stuff's been going missing, you know. What sort of stuff? From rooms. A diamond brooch, I think. And um, a little gold locket. Might not have been him. Might have been me. (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't. You liked him? Yeah. He talked big, mind you. (laughs) But I got used to that during the war. The poles were bad enough. (laughs) The Americans were even worse. <laughs> How did he compare to the Poles and the Americans? He 
talked as big. Said he came from a rich family in Switzerland, only he couldn't get his money here on account of the currency regulations. <laughs> That's what he said. He didn't wear rich clothes. Very ordinary. Not real class, you know? I know. And he'd saved all kinds of people from certain death in the Alps. <laughs> I don't believe that either. And then you get, you get all this, this is, again, and about that same time, you get this vague, just vague mention of a cigarette burn. You know, it's just, it just it's little details, you know, yeah. that just sort of drop in throughout. It, it, it's such a rich script. I mean, it's easier for us now, I think, because we can watch it all three parts in an afternoon. You know? mm -hmm. uh, and and I think as an as an adapter, you've got to sort of say this is a this is a complicated story that there'll be a week between. No, episodes. no, no. This is interesting. You're wrong. Um, oh right. They oh, it's over a weekend. No, no. They yes, did, did it over a few days. days. Yes. So yes. it was. I think it was first second. Yes. Second. So that was a deliberate decision to keep it mm. going. Anyway, sorry, you can edit mm. that out if you want. No, no, but, but, I, but what I mean, what I mean is that you you get the you get these things, uh, but the, you know, there's time between them. You can't just you know, yeah. What I'm saying is people do forget between episodes whether you know they're a day, a week, a month, a yeah. year, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but there there is this this sort of space, and you've got to sort of keep reiterating little details just just so people pick on them, or maybe you don't. I mean, the wonderful thing about the opening episode really is, apart from a couple of tiny moments you don't meet miss marple until 47 minutes i know in. and then she and it's a 52 and then she episode. has some wonderful scenes and you see where it's going to go oh, yes. but you're right mm. and in fact this was discussed with rosalind hicks at the time mm. and she was concerned about the fact she said i know we want to keep faithful to, to mummy's work <laughs> but mm. isn't it a problem for tv audiences that we won't see miss marple in this first episode but alan plater and guys mm. later were convinced it wasn't a problem because it, because mm. we, you know, they had to introduce all this whole swathe of other characters. We already knew Miss Marple because of Body in the Library and Moving Finger, so it was okay just mm. to frame it, start and end, and then really have her come mm. into her own in episodes two and three. Mm. But um, yeah, you you get a you get a very uh, brief moment on the steps, don't you, at the hotel yeah. while she's arriving? As yeah. the, as, is it Craddock? Is it leaving? Someone yeah. says Craddock's leaving. And there's also this bit where she's having her cup of tea right at the beginning. Yeah, and she talks to <laughs> and Myrna, she's knitting. Yeah. But yeah. you know, and she sort of sees Rudy heading mm. off to to post the fateful note or post the fateful advert, uh, advert yeah. I should say. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and well, compare this to um, that Campion episode we watched, where Campion was missing for an entire episode, <laughs> and that was a big problem. And this isn't this yes. isn't a problem at all. Well, this this gives it breathing space, yeah. doesn't it? This gives it actually for 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 the murder and all the characters mm. to sort of reveal themselves. You know, this, and and to also see how it strikes that community, yeah. and how and how they respond to this this awful thing, yeah. and also for you to fill in all the background on on all you know where they are, why they are, you know, it's um there's a, there's a, I mean to, you've got um, Samantha Bond in this, and it's a lovely performance. Yeah, it's you know it's, it's quite early in her career yeah. really, you know, but it's it she just plays it beautifully, and of course they, they are suspicious because they, you know, everybody has a secret don't they that's the thing everybody has a secret to a certain extent yeah. you know totally and uh, and it all sort of you, it, you're sort of sort of picking away at why is it i mean it's almost like i mean you could you could argue this this particular story is what 
gave us Cluedo. <laughs> it it <laughs> just this does is, feel like it, doesn't just it? Picking it? It's so authentically that feel. Would you like to tell me about last night? I told your Sergeant Fletcher. He wrote it all down. I'd like you to tell me. Well, a lot of tiresome people called round. Who? In order of arrival. Colonel and Mrs. Easterbrook, Miss Hinchcliffe and Miss Murgatroyd, Mrs. Swettenham and Edmund Swettenham, and Mrs. Harmon, the vicar's wife. They all said the same things. What lovely chrysanthemums, and I see you've got your central heating on. Except Mrs. Harmon. She said what everyone else was thinking. What time's the murder? You like Mrs. Harmon? She's the best of the bunch. And then? The lights went out, and this man walked in and said, stick them up, you guys, or something equally ridiculous. Then the shooting started. It wasn't ridiculous anymore. I do want to focus in particularly on um, two characters who I just adored in it, and that was Hinch and Murgatroyd. Um, oh. I just think Joan Sims oh. and Paolo Dion Sotti are just... I just believe in their characters so much and the love between them, mm. and it just feels so real and heartfelt... And I just think it's so utterly devastating and sad that it's Hinch's intelligence that effectively kills Murgatroyd. Because Hinch just mm. can't let it go what happened that night and she keeps getting Murgatroyd to go through it until she breaks through and works out mm. who wasn't there in the room. And it's just... Mm. Well, Murgatroyd is a simple soul. Yes. But she's not, she's not stupid. And Hinch is and fine she's, with that. She's, Hinch is like, that's fine. And, and, and she's I love her. naive, yeah. but they just have a, a lovely sort of home... Existence. Yeah. Murgatroyd. Yes, Hinch? I've been doing a bit of thinking. What about? Well, that pantomime the other night. It's all too fishy. Now, take this revolver. Well, that's a trowel. I know it's a trowel. We don't stock revolvers, do we? I suppose not. And this torch. Now, go outside, come back in, wave the torch around and the revolver, like he did, and say, stick him up. Why? Because what happened the other night was fishy, and I want to find out what made it fishy. I'll try. Stick him up! The door won't stay open. Exactly. That's the fishy bit. The door at Little Paddock's is just the same. Letty Blacklock bought that huge glass doorstop from Elliot's, remember? Well, perhaps the burglar used the doorstop to keep it open. That's a non-starter, Murgatroyd. You fling the door open, you shout, reach for the sky, and then you say, excuse me a moment while I adjust the doorstop. And this is all ripped apart by, basically, the fact that um, dear old Murgatroyd remembers something. Yeah. That she, you know, oh, it's just... Oh, it's so sad. And it's also the most brutal moment in the piece, actually, her fate. Yes, it is. Um, and it's why John, know, did, I mean, John didn't want to watch it again with us, because he'd seen it before, and he said, I don't want to see that scene with the washing line. So, yeah. Yes, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Pip has a... She, she won't watch Nemesis After Dark. <laughs> mm. Well, we'll come on to that. We'll come on to why later, I suppose. Yeah, but... Um, she, he, you can't. It, it, we have to watch it in the daytime with lots of la la, lovely daylight. <laughs> you don't, offer, you don't have so a nice time with, and you don't offer a milky drink. <laughs> no, no, indeed. Anyway, um, we should say some of the other actors in it. We've got 
Simon Shepard. Yes. Um, we've got Ralph Michael, who I always think of as being from Kessler, who is um, here as um, Colonel Eastbrook. Um, mm-hmm. Elaine Ives Cameron, who is um, who is Hannah, the maid. Mm. And Elaine Ives Cameron, of course, we, we always think of her as in Stones of Blood. But um, mm. she has fun here as a very foreign foreigner. <laughs> but... <laughs> I was astonished how many times they kept emphasizing she's a foreigner. She's a foreigner. Oh, I don't know which country she's from. She's mm. from Switzerland, I think. Or is she? And she's a foreigner. Mm. And she's a mm. foreigner. And mm. it feels really racist, but it's also, mm. I suppose it's documenting the 50s and how people would have been. Mm. But it's just... Oh, absolutely. But I think it's also setting up because there is this strange sense that somebody in, when they were abroad, so she might be this, uh, this dead person. Yeah, you know, uh, so they're also setting her up as an extra suspect. I think. Yeah, that's and the fact that, kind of and I'd completely forgotten, completely and utterly forgotten, and I'd never, I don't mm. think I'd even realised before that Rudy Schertz mm. recognised Miss Blackfoot from the clinic in Switzerland, and that was yes. the connection, and that's the bit I'd utterly forgotten. Mm. Yeah, it, it is kind of weird. I, I think, I think, I don't know with any production. I, I, I mean, sometimes I mean because obviously we, you know, we tend to watch things through to do this kind of thing but actually they are extremely it's extremely difficult to pick up everything even you know even if you go through something two or three times you know you you think oh i've forgotten yeah you know you go to you go to the cinema i mean i go to the cinema once i come away and sometimes six months later or two years later or whatever the you know the dvd or or the it's actually on television and i'm watching the first 20 minutes of film thing i don't remember it (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know Maybe I've just got a terrible old old person brain now, but you know, <clears throat> but um, it's just it's just yeah, there's these little moments that you know. I mean, I've I've written page after page of notes. I keep looking at it, going, oh oh yeah, there was that, oh yeah, there was that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much going on that it's actually sometimes difficult to process it all. And you think about this, this was, I mean, that people now had at this stage would have had home video, but it was probably the very you know not everybody mm-hmm. in 1985. So you know, the, this was. You you were watching this, and you were trying to remember everything. Yeah. Maybe we maybe the viewers were just did did they respect viewers more in them days? I think certainly these productions suggest that. Um, one thing yeah. I just suddenly remembered was that my friend Juanita, who I worked with in mm. the nineties in in Oxford, she mm. started subscribing via the back of the Radio Times or something in 90, as late as nineteen ninety five to get mm. the. Um, first copies of Miss Marple on VHS and it's the only way you could get them was through the subscription service and they were on video one one event one story per video and I remember being so jealous that she had them and I was like oh my god <laughs> and like now it's just you can just purchase the whole thing for 20 quid but then you know it was it was really expensive I think it cost her about 150 pounds to get them all Long. in 1995 it's just a different world isn't it 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 does you know again you kind of think I used to, I I sometimes because I I tend to leave labels on on VHS yeah. and I sometimes pick them up off the shelf and I think I paid nine quid for two episodes of that yeah <laughs> I can get the entire yeah. thing now for it it's amazing that's yeah, changed that's astonishing do you also want to mention Renee Asherton? Asherson yes Renee in fact I was thinking about her so Sylvia Ashburton in the first series of Tenko who um, mm. she I think it shows her versatility because there's aspects of it. very different yeah, in Tenko, she's like the major's wife and she's 
staunch and she's going to believe in these things. But mm. in in this, she shows her range in that she's she's like a child, really. She plays a child, doesn't she? Effectively. Um, I think the the interesting thing that that crops up uh, for me uh, in in the in the run of this particular story is that you you, you really appreciate that Agatha Christie was fearless at killing off likeable characters. Oh, totally. Oh my god. Because yeah. the people you really like in this so the two of them are you know, gone. Yes, Murgatroyd you know? and Miss Bunner, yeah. And it's just... And yeah. and, and they are both murdered uh, for, for, this, for the purpose of, well, money, you know. Tell me, I didn't do wrong, Miss Marple. I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about, Miss Bunner. I was living on my own, just with my pension, rather in the bed sitter, and I, I saw Letty's name in the local newspaper. She was at a charity luncheon in aid of the Milchester Hospital. And I wrote to her. Not a begging letter. It, it wasn't that. Oh, no, no, of course not. No, you wrote a friendly letter to an old school chum, and you met. She was lonely, and you were lonely, and she asked you to move in with her. Do understand. I understand everything about lonely old ladies. I can tell. You're very comfortable to talk to, Miss Marple. You see, I, I get so angry when I see people taking advantage of Letty. And I I do hope that I'm not like that. She's left me all the household goods and an annuity. But that's her decision. I I haven't taken advantage of her. Truly. Oh, no, no. I'm quite sure you haven't. No. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because cause I think what's written more this time than any other time was that, yes, it's about money, but it's also about fear. It's about fear of being caught out. And I think she's almost just in a cycle, Miss Blacklock, of she's lived in fear for so long that mm. it's consumed her. And mm. now she's just got to carry on anyway and keeping up the lie. And she's trapped by her own lie and she can't actually get out of it. And our friends over at Criminal Minds will be saying, what was the stressor? Ah, gosh. <laughs> For our unsub. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, obviously this was all set in, in into store by her meeting in this hotel. This, um, this yes. Chap, you Because know? otherwise I don't think any of those deaths would have mm -hmm. happened. No. They wouldn't, would they? Because... Belgirdler no, would have died, is, is... and she would have got the money. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ah, oh, Belgirdler. Lovely little cameo from Joyce Carey. Wasn't it? Lovely. I loved the bit where she's saying, um, I'll just ramble on and you just pick out the interesting bits or something like that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Well, Joyce, Joyce Carey is one of those actors. I mean, she, she I mean, in my mind, she's, I, mean, I remember her very much from uh, In Which We Serve, uh -huh. which just goes to show what length of career she had yeah. you know but is one of the standout uh, actors from from in which we serve mm -hmm. you know which is a fabulous film yeah. I, I, I know people people mock it but i, I think it just absolutely it makes me it still makes me cry right yeah, <laughs> yeah now i must really. i must ask yeah. you um mm. i mean it wouldn't be it would, i'm you wouldn't have been with her at the time but the fact that you your partner is pip <laughs> i mean Ah, the well, Pip Philippa yeah. connection was probably not a leap for you. <laughs> no, no, but but equally, um, you know, it, it's still. I mean, it, the thing is that name play and everything like that. You know, I mean, there's an awful lot of people pretending to be someone else in there, mm. 
And again, they're all and the fact that they're all living under the same roof <laughs> is, is sort of it's uh, a bit much, isn't it? In a way, yeah. But um, but are you? But, I, uh, well, they've all been drawn to the the perceived. I mean, again, there's a lot of just there's a lot of st- in the fifties. Uh, there's an awful lot of. Uh, I think sometimes people forget with Christie that there's an awful lot of poverty. There's an awful lot of people living in very very reduced circumstances post-war partners have died whatever but but this whole thing of companionship is sometimes misunderstood that people a lot of people had companions uh, as a kind of it was it wasn't a sexual thing particularly it was just this is how people lived Mm. you know and there was a lot of people it's like there's an awful lot of justification by bunny i wasn't i wasn't trying to you know fleece her yeah I just wrote to her, and she invited me to come and stay. It wasn't, you know, and to a certain extent, these these cousins and uh, youngsters, the nieces and nephews, or whatever relationship they have or, mm. or shouldn't have, are all people who are just they they're trying to desperately survive, and they have a vague family connection to someone who has money. It's it's really it's a really good point, and um, the fact that the poverty and which is I think it doesn't come over because they're all dressed so well. Um, but they're probably mm. wearing the same clothes again and again, and well, I would say, I mean, the, the, if you think about it, <clears throat> Miss Marple always is, is she, she's in this grey suit of destiny quite yeah. often. <laughs> yeah, she is. She is a nemesis. She's cutting her suede in a in a grey hat and and, and grey two-piece yeah. sort of, you know, with her pearls. But it's uh, the, the actual look of the show on the BBC version. They it it doesn't look lavish. There's a lot of homemade. There is. You know, but I still think you don't get quite enough of the poverty. You occasionally, oh, probably you occasionally not. do in but some episodes. I mean, what I what I really liked mm. was um, in the scene where they're talking to Murgatroyd. I'm um, sorry to Hinch after Murgatroyd's death, and mm. a fly plays about on her collar. Oh yes, and I thought that would be in that farmhouse. It would be like that. Mm. It would be a bit mm. grim, and I just felt that was kind of that fitted. They don't reshoot it because of the no, fly. It's just no, there. yeah. So, but what I mean is, there's also this very, there is this muted palette. There's this grey palette, you know. And people, you, uh, you don't. I mean, okay, we are looking at people who are at the better off end of the scale, you know, the people who have cars and big houses. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, there's, it's still, it, it feels a real world of, in many ways, post-war desperation. Because you know, it's, it's there, if you think you about know. the advert to come to Little Paddocks, the murder is announced. Mm. Um, except this, the only intimation. The the people who come now, obviously, not everyone in the village goes. So it's an mm. interesting subset of people in the village who goes. Some of them are definitely more upper class and more together. But all mm. the people who you see later crowding at the gates in little paddocks to see what's going on, um, mm. they don't go. So there's an mm. interesting element of social yes there's a social circle and i think Mm. it's slightly upper and it's to do with connections with the vicar and and there's there's definite definite um i don't know levels to this that Mm. um yeah it's it's kind of interesting i mean it it really puts me in mind of village life because i was brought Mm. up in a village in north northumberland and Mm. honestly the village i lived in hadn't really changed much since the 50s i would say Mm. and it was very um it was very St. Mary Mead, and everyone knew each other's yes. or shipping Cleghorn. And actually, a story I should. Well, you've yes, also. No, so you've also got the the maids, are again a different social class. The maids, the the, the um, 
the the staff, yeah. if you like, the 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 cook. You know, they all you can you sense the social distance. Yeah. Straight away, you know. Uh, I mean, the maid who was seeing Rudy, you know, socially. But but again, she makes a lot of points about oh, but he's a horrible foreigner, really. And I wasn't going to be stood <laughs> yes. up by a foreigner and all this. Yes, kind of that's thing. the only reason why it was bad because he was a foreigner, and I wouldn't be stood up by a British lad. Fine, but by a foreigner, no, <laughs> not acceptable. Yeah, hmm. I was just going to say that Chipping Cleghorn itself was such an inspiration to me that as a 13-year-old, after first watching it, that I dragged poor Alex around the garden um, in the Vic vicarage mm. that we lived, the vicarage garden, and basically she yeah. had to interview me as a whole range of suspects for hours <laughs> as we played murder, <laughs> murder mystery games. And she she was so subtly different as a young detective called Jane Shaw, not Jane Marple. And no. she would interview me playing all these different male and female characters endlessly she enjoyed it as well she'd tell you that it was great mm. fun but um that was directly as a result of her murderous announce so that's quite funny yeah i could see her as a pip or emma i could see her with the dialogue certainly <laughs> i love the dialogue between simon shepherd and um and sam bond what was it um do you like nice things i prefer naughty things <laughs> <laughs> they are they are set up certainly in the in the second episode they are set up as the oh yes it's obviously them totally yeah. I mean they're the ones standing at the window when Miss Marple arrives at the house yeah. and they're sort of looking at each other in a suspicious manner and I was certain it was them when I was a kid and yeah mm. I, I really think it was kind of you're right it was set up mm. the interesting thing of, there's yeah. also a nice a nice bit about uh, letters of introduction how you don't know your name yes now that's that was really interesting because that felt really of its time that sort of like that knowledge is sort mm. of lost now that that Miss mm. Marple was explaining the fact that people had to have letters of introduction in order to live in a village effectively. Yes, and Russian books and ID yeah. cards and how they don't really sort of add up to a person and don't tell you all the all the truth. And the and fact that oh yes, the fact that she said that rationing and ID cards were inhuman was the word she used, and mm. I love that. The fact that mm. her appreciation of humanity is is very clear, and she realizes the great evil that people can do. But she's also mm. very much into people being different and being who they yeah. are. And what I loved particularly mm. was when she was talking about Pip and Emma. And she said, oh, mm. they sound rather fun. It wasn't like this old woman <laughs> thing. Oh, God, they're too boisterous. And it was like, no, they sound rather yeah. fun. And I liked that, that she was accepting. Yes. You know, the English village has changed since before the war. That's really because the whole world has changed village like Chipping Cleghorn, for example, it may look the same, simple and peaceful and eternal, but it isn't. You see, in the old days, everyone knew each other. And if someone new came to the village, then they brought letters of introduction. They'd either been in the same regiment or the same ship or the same colony as someone already living in the village, you see. And that no longer applies? Oh, gone forever, I suspect. Well, the big houses are sold, the cottages converted, and people simply come in from anywhere. From India, Hong Kong, or Italy, and made a little money and are able to retire. No letters of introduction, no roots. You had to believe their stories and take them at their faith value. Plus their ration books and identity cards. Oh. Can you really believe in a ration book and identity card? Horrible things, inhuman. 
there is actually a very good scene uh, with uh, we've not talked about him yet, Edmund. Ah, yes, Edmund's Ed, Edmund, Swetenham. who is yes. Edward Swettenham, which is who is the basically the com- the communist writer, Guy Pringle. <laughs> <laughs> trying to find his name on the cast list and I can't find him. Oh yes, uh, Matthew Solon. Matthew Solon. Yeah, it's a, and it's a nice book. There's a lovely scene where he's he's flirting with um Philippa Haynes. Oh, Philippa Haynes, yes. And uh, it's just uh, by the greenhouse and he's got his jar of honey in his pocket. As a, as a yes. <laughs> and and they all talk about the world's misery yeah. and uh, I love the and how they, how he how he's a splendidly null person. Yes, and how he just he just <laughs> professes him. his love really openly and says, so, "Well, if you take me, yes. you know that'd be great. You know, I'd look after your mm. son." And it was it's a really lovely. Um, mm. Philip is an odd character. She's she's hard to get a handle on for quite a while because she's so flat. And yes. but that's deliberate, and it's very good sparse writing really? again. And then when she comes into her own later on, she even gets flouncy curly hair, and <laughs> she's come into her own. Suddenly, I'm flouncy. She's, she's Pip. There's there's a thing, isn't there, about about people putting on their evil voice when Poirot is exposed. <laughs> yes, <them. laughs> there definitely is. So this, this nice girl who you didn't expect would be a horrible murderer suddenly goes. Ah, my my favourite version that I just must mention of any. Any Agatha Christie is when Jane Birkin does this in Evil Under the Sun, when she is revealed as the baddie and she's been the fey ephemeral one all the way through, and she's suddenly all amazing in all her evening gown, and she just makes the entrance down the stairs. It's so gay and camp, but I love it. Brilliant. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like Eric Roberts walking in. Yes, she just steals the whole. And the brilliance of that is that Jane Birkin's character. Previously, completely overshadowed by Diana Rigg and, and Maggie Smith, completely camping it up oh. against each other, and then suddenly Jane Birkin blows them out of the water at the end, and she's like, "Oh, it's amazing! I I adore it." Uh, anyway, yeah. there's, there's also a, a, again sort of stuff in in, in part two, but the, this is a, about the time where Hinch and Murgatroyd start thinking about the pantomime. Oh, and I, I was just shouting at the TV, don't don't, don't don't think about it. Don't try and work no. it out. We were shouting at the TV. Well, you actually Stop think it. that in many ways, but 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 certainly Hinch Hinchcliffe is very much a, a almost like a Miss Marple herself yes. at this stage in the, in the plot. She starts to analyse and try and work out and say, well, this would have, that couldn't happen. That was nonsense, and they were obviously lying. And like... yes, she's very with it, and she realises that the, the the opening the door doesn't work and holding the gun and the mm. torch and all that. Yeah. yeah. Now she's an interesting actress in that she's not very well known for TV, but she had an astonishing theatre career. I mean, she's still going. But Ooh. in the seventies, I have um, the complete seventies periodical. I think it's called Theatre Today or something like that. It's it's basically mm. theatre, and basically she was in every production going forever and won so many awards. Mm. And I think on on IMDb, it's only got one award listed for something in nineteen eighty. Mm. But honestly, she got awards throughout the seventies, mm. and she was. Such a strong actress, and, and Halloween Party was on. Oh yeah, on the weekend after we've been watching this, they should switch channel and Halloween Party was on. She's in that. Ah, well. she okay. So, so she's another one who has both Poirot and Miss Marple. Oh, so it's a good one. It was a good Poirot. It wasn't a crappy. Uh, well, it was. I think it, uh, Mark Gattis. It was one of the later ones, but Mark Gattis wrote the script. Ah, okay. Halloween Party. Yeah. yeah. 
No. There's all, and the other thing, the other thing I must remember, I mentioned that part two, is the cafe with the horrid cakes. Yes. Because <laughs> they generally looked like the most horrid cakes in the history of cake making. <laughs> just, um, again, one tastes a bit like salmon. <laughs> <laughs> and the vicar's wife says, I don't think I'll have one. She says, very wise, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, the surly waitress. <laughs> yes, Julia, the waitress, who is a bit above yes. her own station. And you can see... Miss Marple's judgment of the youth of today that even though she's hope you know, she's hopeful that Pip and Emma will be fun, she's really unhappy with the way the waitress makes it about her. She's like, Well, this wouldn't have happened in my day. And there is a throwback to to Miss Marple being a sort of like wanting things to stay the same and, and the old days in the sense of she wants that link to the past and she wants doctors to be like old doctors with big <coughs> bottles of medicine. Um Ah, well, yes, but but Christy does have form with doctors doesn't she in what sense tell me more <laughs> she she uh, she doesn't a, a lot of her criminals are doctors ah, yes <laughs> a lot of the people who done it are doctors uh, actually within the marple canon uh, uh she does seem to have a mistrust of the medical profession yes Let's just put it that way yeah well i think she's very wise to be <laughs> well absolutely <laughs> She, she, the, the shipman would have been would have been found out in twenty minutes <laughs> in Christie yeah, World. Exactly, she'd have been onto him. Um, yeah. Okay, but, there's, there, but you see the whole the rest of uh, episode two is of course the birthday birthday party that is held mm. for Bunny yeah. Miss Bunner, uh, who is well, she's uh, described as being too good to lose, which is brutal, quite frankly. Mm. Uh, and we get this whole thing about how you would make a cake under rationing and everything like that. And so we have the second party at the, the house of death. And uh, and in the end, of course, uh, Miss Bonner is disposed of. Yeah. Like, um... But again, so casually the way it's done. Have you, no have you noticed the, 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 the whole stuff about, oh, I just want some headache pills. And, yeah. oh, have some of mine. They're on the thing. And it's it's... It's like knowledge of how people work. I mean, this is the whole thing about Christie. She knows how people. She knows people. Yeah. She knows how people's minds work. She knows how you know um, the psychology of people and and how they would respond. You know, lots of people might offer you the headache pills, but you know that she'll take the ones that are offered by Miss yes. Blacklock. You know, you know, and and obviously we get you know we got lots of fast violin music and things like that to say this is all totally exciting. But of course. Craddock's off in Scotland meeting Joyce Carey and having a lovely moment, you know, who's, who's telling him all about this complicated uh, structure of the history of these two sisters, yeah. you know, which again, all, all feeds without you really understanding how significant it yeah. is. You know, it's all, that's really, we know what that scene tells us after the fact, but really what that's just saying is, oh, people are after her money. Yes. That's all it's saying. Nothing about people swapping identities or anything. No, yeah. no, is it that you know that that's but, but it, all the clues are yeah. there, you know, but uh, it's very much oh just throwaway. There's a lot of throwaway stuff in here that is really significant. Now, you know? are there any? And how many red herrings are there in this? There's not that many, are there? There are enough. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> you know, I suppose when you've got, I suppose I mean, I'm like talking nonsense. Say, you've got Pip and Emma, and you've got Sonia. Actually, I'm talking nonsense. There's loads of possible. Well, I, I, I think this is the thing. Actually, sometimes this is where I was saying about the book adaptation is that maybe a few more are introduced. You know, you've got Sylvia Sims and the missing gun. Mm -hmm. You've got, um, you've got the whole thing about uh, the, you know, the cook. You know, Miss. Um, oh God, I've lost the name again. Hannah. 
Hannah, yeah, you know, and 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 her mysterious foreign past, yeah. and maybe she was working with, you know, there's all these sort of just little things are just sort of fed through it, sort of sprinkled around, mm. just to give you because maybe in in book form, you don't necessarily need more suspects because well the problem is when you've got a three part series, if everyone by the end of part two thinks oh it, well it's obviously Philippa or it's obviously um julia or it's obviously this person yeah they might not come back because they've worked it out which of course is the beauty of playing with with your audience yeah. you know and anyway at the end of episode two we get this line about that's most unfair it's the fate of the innocent to suffer which is again brutal mm. absolutely brutal. Yeah. and and yeah. as the credits roll you sit there going good god look at those look at that production crew that is <laughs> yes and we should mention that George Galatio, who becomes the producer mm. after the first series or after the first four, because Guy Slater, I think he gets a bit ill actually after the production, and he worked mm. so hard to get it right, um, and he becomes executive producer thereafter, and George mm. Galatio takes over as producer. Mm. But again, this this other thing that gets that's pushed time again is this, <clears throat> you know, I haven't taken advantage, you know. And yet, you know, and this whole thing about the shepherdess, which again is so throwaway, and all this stuff about the photos. Yes. In the Did attic. we ever find out who again, removed the photos? All... It must be her. It must be Blacklock. It, it yeah. must be. Yeah, yeah, it must be. But um, you know, again, it, it's it's just it's sort of there and peculiar. But you know, <clears throat> yeah. Yes. So what Plato was bothered about was in the final episode, he didn't want the big denouement of everyone gathered round. Now I don't know how it happened mm. in the book because it's a long time since I read it, but um. In the end, he just caved to this is the easiest way to do it, to invite them all back to the mm. house. Um, mm. But he wasn't happy because he wanted to kind of get away from that trope because he already saw it as a trope. But in the end, he just mm. gave into it. It's like, well, no, it's the only way of doing it, really. But the one mm. thing that he did change from the book, which was significant, was a moment in which apparently Miss Marple throws her voice and is able to imi imitate someone else. And, right. and she says, oh, I've always had a talent for mimicry, she says in the book, which is really mm. like, what? You can't imitate anyone. Mm. I don't think so. So Plato got rid of that because he thought it was nonsense. So, mm. yeah. There are beautiful uh, moments. I mean, you also get that little bit of the theme when, when something clicks in Marple's mind, ah, in Miss yeah. Marple's mind, you know, which is always... When she when she starts going on about oh how stupid I've been oh how foolish I've been how you know and all this kind of yes. thing and uh, and you know and, and and she's going to sit there reading letters and oh yes I shall I shall battle on but <laughs> you know you know I'll let you and and but this thing about having a dusty brain you know all this all this stuff yeah. is just is just it, it's to make you underestimate her and I think that's the thing you know. From watching these, the laser like basically these villains haven't got a hope because Miss Marple has already worked out <laughs> everything, really, even though she hasn't, you know. But she knows she just knows things and she knows people, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you get this every so often again, you get this this laser like thing with, with, with Joan Hickson and these piercing eyes where she's so still. Yeah, I mean, particularly, and she just particularly in that scene where she's with Dora Bunner and she just lets her carry on talking at the Bluebird Cafe. Mm. And that's actually the technique mm. I teach people when I teach people interviewing mm. skills, is to shut up, give the other person the floor, after you've built a rapport, after you've built a relationship, and then let them talk, mm. and they will tell you anything. 
And that's exactly mm. what Miss Marple does there. And my, my wife turned to me and said, this is how you train people, isn't it? This is exactly it. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's exactly this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also the police technique as well. It's just, you've got to let people open up. You've got to shut up and they will talk their way into stuff. <laughs> yep. Particularly if they're Dora Bunner. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And of course, in the in this in the final episode, you get the the lovely moment with the cat and the lamp, which is sort of what brings everything into everything clicks, yes. you know. And when the when the cat spills the water and the and the lamp fuses, and suddenly it opens, oh oh, yeah. So you know, we have this quote remarkable cat, you know? Delilah, who was called Tiglath Pileser in the book, <laughs> which I think is a Persian king or something. Yeah, yeah. It's Delilah. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> easier. It's easier than trying to explain. But I did like the reason why it was called Delilah as well. That was funny. Oh, Aunt Jane, I'm sure you can't see properly. Well, you seem a little cluttered, don't you? Let's get you properly organised. Well, shouldn't there be a switch up here? It's on the flex. Oh, Oh, Delilah, you silly cat. Oh. Oh, my dear. What have I done? Oh, it's all right, Aunt Jane. It's not your fault. Delilah's. Oh, probably fused all the lights in here now, thanks to her. What a nuisance. No, it isn't a nuisance. It's wonderful. Oh, look. You can see where she's been chewing at the flex. That's why it fused. With the assistance of a shepherdess. What are you talking about? Murder, my dear. And I won't have a word said against that remarkable cat. Yes. So, anything more about A Murder is Announced? Well, um, just, I think, to, to come back, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we do, we, we do have the denouement, you know, and uh, Craddock round, rounding up the suspects and, and they're all coming in and everything like that. And obviously, I mean, I, we don't want to give away how it all sort of unfolds and everything like that. But uh, but uh, there, there's a beautiful bit where where everything has been set up by Miss Marple <laughs> to trap our yeah. villain, <laughs> you know. And that and it becomes apparent that she's, you know, when when she comes through the door, going, "I too saw everything." Yes. <laughs> you might as well say, "I'll put your head in a noose, darling," you know. But yeah. but the um, there is. The, the the real the cent the central uh, moment I think in the final episode of of Murder's Announced is this is this um, moment where Murga- Murgatroyd's fate just because I I think if if you think about how it's put together you know for one thing that uh, you get this this moment where um, where um, uh, where they're still investigating. Mm-hmm. Hinch and Murgatroyd still investigating, and she makes this whole thing about men and what dirty dogs men are. Yes, you know, and obviously the kill, you know, the killer, the killer is not a yeah. man, you know. Uh, and then oh, she she goes off to to get her dog, you know. <laughs> Ironically, the dogs arrive, so she this phone call, and you're sat there going, "Tell her now, oh, no. tell her now, <laughs> don't don't." Oh, I'll tell you when you get back, kind of thing. And of course, you know, she wasn't there. She wasn't there. So we we now know that the. You know the killer is a woman, but it's the it's the uh, for me it's the contrast between Hinch's singing going along in a car singing a happy yeah. song, whilst this murder happens and the intercutting between the two it's, is just yeah it awful, is awful really. Um, I mean yeah. you know 
I mean, what's her name? Uh, Joan Sims. She, her head gets a right clobber on that oh, paving yeah. stone. You know, when she, it's when she, I mean, probably brutal. It is. Yeah. But I mean, in, just in terms of the you know the actual the way it's staged, you know, you actually see her head hit the yeah. stone. You crikey, that must have hurt as well. Yeah. I mean, um, interesting production side note on that is. Um, the red setter they got, they couldn't get to do anything. The red setter was meant to go up to Joan Sims and sniff around her face and all this, and they couldn't get it. Right. You see in the show, it doesn't get anywhere near her because it was completely untrainable. Mm. And they even they even daubed chicken liver on, on raw chicken liver on Joan Sims' face to make the, the red setter go there, and it still wouldn't go. Oh, the glamour! So they had to just go with what they had, which is the dog wandering around a bit above above on the path, and that's all they had. And of course, uh, then uh, when 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 the crime is solved, you get the the there's a beautiful oh. moment, and it, it's 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 just the rage of him, yeah. and then the absolute heartbreak. Yeah, that's know. when she finally properly um, grieves Murgatroyd, and it's just awful. It's wonderful, brilliant. It's the, it's the best performance in it, I think. Yeah, apart apart from Joan. I'm sorry. Hi. I want to kill you. I want to kill you! There's an awful lot of um, the acting style that you just don't see the nature of anymore. Everything is very underplayed, very subtle. Yeah. But it's all there. Uh, I was we we saw a trailer for some thing the other day. Uh, okay, it's, it's a clip from the trailer, so it probably is a bit funny. But you get this. Everything now is em emphatic acting. You know, uh, I think I, I can't remember the, what it's a trailer for, but she goes, "What you are in Narcotics Anonymous," and it's like, oh god, and it's just not. You know, it wouldn't be played like that in. Um, in uh, in in these productions, no. it just it just would be so much more subtle, mm. and yet in many ways so much more brutal. Yes, you know. Yeah. So we'll move on to Nemesis. Yeah, so we're now in 1987. As you said, I think it was the eighth mm -hmm. production. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, that seems to be. And so, synopsis. So, Miss Marple receives a cryptic, cryptic quest from the late millionaire Jason Raphael, asking her to write an unknown justice, but she doesn't receive any more hint as to what the injustice is, other than um, getting a ticket for a guided coach tour around historic homes and gardens. <laughs> So, Nemesis, what do you make of this? Nemesis is interesting. I mean, like I said, I've said earlier, you know, uh, in our house, it can only be watched in daylight because <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying. But the uh, the thing about it is, is this is very much, I mean, I, I quibble about ITV playing fast and loose, but actually this does mess around with, with the, uh, the book quite a lot, actually, weirdly. But um, it's bloody good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we watched it yesterday afternoon, and really, 
it's an astonishingly good two. Uh, the second episode, particularly, is almost too perfect. You always feel uh, it, it's just drippingly yes. good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you just feel, oh, this is just perfect. I mean, there's there's so many moments in it. You always feel we could just stop talking now and just play you the soundtrack <laughs> yes. and just sort of every so often go, oh, and this happens and that happens in in a Peter Purvis kind of a way. <laughs> because, because 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 it's just it's it's beautiful yes. it's a beautiful piece of television you know it is um i think I, we should I, I, no you i mean basically yeah. you know <laughs> miss marple dons her straw holiday hat and, and gets away to set things to rights i mean there's an awful lot of stuff about uh homeless london in this which isn't in the book ah that's not in the book uh, is it not, I basically he he's he's in prison ah you know he is actually in prison uh uh, in the actual book and all the stuff with peter tilbury isn't he's not a character in the book at all so you almost feel that, that he's been introduced to take the burden off uh joan so Hicks who's peter tilbury extent. tell me who's he he he's the lionel peel he's the, ah, the um yes. the uh nephew yes or, or, or distant nephew <laughs> yes he's definitely not a, just an ordinary nephew i mean you've already got who, Raymond, who sort of turns you? up having had a, a marriage fail <laughs> And between the writing series, if it takes a worried man, he <laughs> he turns up, and some somehow instead of getting a ticket, uh, Raphael has worked out she might want to take someone with her. Yeah. Well, Mrs. Bantry possibly, uh, or someone like that. Yes, but anyway, uh, basically, uh, in in the opening, uh, we see a dying uh, millionaire yeah. uh, with a, with a uh, who is who is trying to set. The some things to rights as as he's as he's carking it played by Frank Gatlin, yeah. uh, and refers to a story that on television we haven't yet seen. Yes, yeah, a Caribbean in history, which he yeah. which was made later and in which he would be played by Donald yeah. Pleasance. And this is the unfortunate. <laughs> so this is the unfortunate production behind the scenes issue is that the Caribbean mystery wasn't available mm. because of the Helen Hayes version. Mm. So otherwise, they would have held on and done Nemesis later, but they didn't know they were going to get the Caribbean mystery then. Yeah. So that's mm. slightly awkward that we've got this Raphael who Miss Marple's meant to know, but we don't know and all that. So it's a bit of a shame, but it's not too. It's not a problem as such. Jane. This perplexing. What is the letter? Mr. Raphael wants me to investigate something I can only take as being a... But he tells me nothing about it. What kind of crime, if it was a crime, and when it was committed, where, anything. I'm most bewildered. It's like being asked to do a crossword puzzle without any clues. And in the course of this, uh, obviously, she's sent off on this, this tour of the uh, historic houses of England. Yes. With, and with, we have, with that bus they always have, use. <laughs> yes, and we have the wondrous Madge. We have Madge played by Joanna Hole from Tenko. Yes. Who is um, gorgeous in that role. And she really enjoyed it, she told me. She mm. loved Madge. She really enjoyed playing that. Um, and of, of course, you know why there are so many Tenko actresses in this? Well, there's Anne Queensbury as well. Ooh. Maybe there's only two. <laughs> Go on. Direct, directed by David Tucker, uh. who directed the first half of Tenko series and always regretted the fact that Joe Hole was being written out mm. of Tenko at that point mm. um, as Sally. So he had her in mind 
for something later on because he'd enjoyed her performance in Penguin. Yeah. And you've also got Anne Queensbury, who um, is Judith Bowen in Tenko, who turns up in a small role of Miss Wimpole, the secretary. But um, David Tucker is a lovely guy, mm. and I, I did sit and have have tea and cake at his house. Mm. Um, he was completely mystified why I was writing a book about Tenko, I recall. He's like, <laughs> I don't understand why you're writing this massive book about Tenko. And I'm like, well, because it's amazing, and you've directed loads of amazing episodes. He's like, oh, okay. But um, I think he was directing EastEnders at the time, so he was kind of a bit like, ugh. But um, directing, he does a brilliant job of directing Nemesis, I think. Mm. Well, it, mm. it, it, it's, it's very much, like I say, I mean, to be fair, this, this, you know, this does mess in the plot, but actually with the plot in a way that you know, we, we would accuse ITV of and be horrified. But actually, I think it, it's a lighter touch. You don't, feel, oh, God, yeah. you don't feel you're being removed from, you know, you not feel like you're playing, I don't know, a, a Christy Panto. <laughs> well, honestly, if, I could not think of a worse Christy adaptation than the ITV version of Nemesis. It just makes me so angry. I remember being furious when I watched it at the time mm. because it actually changes it so that Clotilde Bradbury Scott is Sister Clotilde, played by Amanda Bloody Burton. Right. Sod off. <laughs> Honestly. And it's all to do with a church and it's all wrong. And it's like, what are you on about? You, mm. Why bother even calling it Nemesis? It's not the same story. Yes. And this is what annoys me about Pritchard and I, anything post Rosalind Hicks. It's just like, oh yeah, do what you like. Mm. Only my grandma, it doesn't matter. There's mm. no nothing about integrity here about mm. what is a Christie story. Just do whatever you damn well like. Mm. And of course, sometimes you get the interviews with the writers in the Radio Times, which which kind of basically say, "Well, we we kind of threw Christie in the bin and just did our own thing." Yeah, not okay. Not What's really. the point? No, it's, well, the point is, you just get people in. And you can do whatever the hell you like. Mm. But I don't think Matthew Pritchard ever requested scripts to look at, mm. which is what. Which is what Rosalind Hicks did. I think mm. he was just after the money. Mm. There you go, saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to tell us a story? <laughs> okay, I will tell you the story. So, having loved the Miss Marple series, really enjoyed it, and the Poirot, and slightly less less for me, it was always the the Miss Marple that really got me, and really have enjoyed actually the Peter Ustinov films. I really do like as well, mm. and. So the murder mystery thing was big for me and I'd read a lot of Christie and I ended up in the late 90s starting to write murder mystery games. Right. Because um, I was so frustrated by how basic they were. They were like Mr. Bun the baker effectively mm. and Mrs. Salacious the murderess mm. and all this stuff. And it was just like, oh, this is shit. I'm sure you can do a more Agatha Christie style one with characters who have names that are more Christie-esque mm. and they're not saying what the character is. Mm. So I wrote... Mr. Murderer the Murderer. Yes! Right. So I wrote about five I wrote about five mysteries. There was an Egyptian one called The Curse of Neferar-Moon. Mm -hmm. There was a Victorian musical one called Villainy at the Vanity, mm. which was basically Talon's, the cast of Talon, effectively. <laughs> and Mr. Jigger. A Roman one. A Roman one. Yeah, there was a Jigger character. Um, a Roman one, which is basically I, Claudius, which was called A Roman Way of Death. Right. And those three... I actually started to sell as murder mystery parties for 10 to 12 people. Mm. And as a pack, they got a pack of information mm. and each person got an envelope of confidential information which said what they knew about the events. Yes. And over the party, they could be interviewed and it would reveal in info. And of course, 
the poor murderer got a, a two pages of notes about everything they'd done. <laughs> and it's starting with, you are the murderer. Yeah. Um, and I think what I realised was I enjoyed the construction of the steel traps and the writing mm. more than I did the administration of selling murder mysteries, mm. particularly to Joe Public, who actually wanted Mr. Bun the Baker mm. and Mrs. Evil the Murderers. Mm. So... They didn't sell brilliantly. People mm. found them too complicated. Mm. They would have sold well to people who love murder mysteries, right. who really get it. But if you're just doing it as, oh, it's just a bit of fun one night, they didn't want it to be as complicated as that. So we ended up, we did them all for our friends, kind of like role play mm. for many years. Um, but they never really sold. And yeah, it, it didn't work as a business. But what happened was I had a website and uh, my business was called the AJP Murders, a play on the ABC Murders. Mm -hmm. And um, and then one day I got a cease and desist notice from Matthew Pritchard from the Agatha Christie estate. And it was simply because my website said Agatha Christie style murder mysteries. Mm -hmm. That's all it said. Mm -hmm. That was the only reference to Christie. And that was enough. That's how litigious that estate is. Mm -hmm. And I was just furious because I wasn't going to be making any money out of it. And if anything, all I was doing was celebrating Christie and the style. Yes. There was no attempt to get money out of his bloody estate. Mm -hmm. So furious. <laughs> so I, I mean, I instantly, obviously, because it was a really serious legal letter, I immediately took down the words Agatha Christie. Mm. But it was just like, I just felt a bit stung by that. And it was mm. just way too much, mm. you know. And of course, it, yeah, it couldn't happen is. now. Sorry, you were going to say? No, it just shows, shows you where the power is, really. You, you own, you know, you've got the brand. You can do, I mean, we, we used to get it, we've had it a few times uh, in jobs I've done over the years, you know, and it just, it, you have no comeback, you know, you just, you, you got as, as an individual, it. you know. Yeah. But um, the thing is, that was interesting about it was that, um, it was just because it was the late 90s mm. and the internet was still fairly new. So they obviously had people employed to search mm. for the phrase Agatha Christie. Mm. You wouldn't be able to do it now. Mm. No. <laughs> I don't think they would have tracked me down now. No. But then they could find it. Mm. Anyway, that's my well, desist from the Agatha Christie. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure our, 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 our 80 listeners who aren't buying us coffees are not financing us in any way, shape or form. <laughs> And we love them all dearly. <laughs> dearly. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I don't know. It, 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 yeah, the world. Eh? It's, I mean, it's interesting what people do for a buck, you know, or to protect a yeah. buck, you know. Which, yes, of course, in I many mean, ways... I can understand them going against a big companies, mm. but small-time freelancers are getting, like, ten quid every few weeks, mm. honestly. Mm. Sods. Yeah. Anyway, we should get back to Nemesis. <laughs> Nemesis, lovely. So anyway, we're on this. We're on this. Now again, this is another. This is an interesting because this this one's written by T. R. Bow Bowen Bowen Bowen. Yeah, Bowen. Bowen. Yeah. And uh, again, the way we are introduced to our suspects this time is they are all people who are coming on this coach trip. And yeah. you get this this lovely lovely vignette really where there's the professor and the um, and the two spy ladies. <laughs> The spy ladies. Well, there's a, there's a wonderful there's a thing about lonely folk. You know, there's a lovely little moment for that, just lonely folk. And then and they spot mm. Miss Temple waiting, and they know her from somewhere. Yeah. And Miss Temple is quite famous for having uh, some some academic past which escapes me. Oh, that woman looks familiar. What do you think, Lionel? 
Yeah, she stands out, doesn't she? Rather academic. An archaeologist, perhaps, digging up the Near East. Of course, Miss Temple, Elizabeth Temple. She was headmistress of St Agnes. And... Ah. Mm. Ah. Yes. I read an account of her retirement last summer. Oh, well, how lucky we are. Well, congratulations, Aunt Jane Elizabeth Temple, quite mm. right. And who's that, I wonder? There's a Professor Wanstead listed. Yeah. Doesn't say what of. Professor Wanstead. This is turning into a very distinguished gathering. It's just beautifully structured that. Sorry, I, d- I drifted off. No, it's just, <laughs> it, it just it just beautifully off. And then, it, and again, the whole thing about, in many ways, the first episode is you get a lot of setup. Yeah, an awful yeah. lot of setup. You get an awful lot of characters. And then, uh, and but actually, in many ways, not a lot happens. You do get a murder in a library or, or an attempted murder that turns into a murder, although at the end of it, yeah. you're pretty much convinced she's, she's dead already uh, in a library. And she's killed by Shakespeare, which seems harsh <laughs> <laughs> and there's a beautiful director shot isn't there of the um the bust falling oh, yes. into the, the from the reflection in the display case mm. this is a wonderful moment uh where they go to one of the country houses and it's bucketing down with rain <laughs> it's mm. absolutely pouring down with rain and you kind of think was that just because it happened to be raining that day or somebody just says so much about these coach tours but so much about these coach tours is that what what I, I i we went on a we went on a cruise went on a cruise a few years ago uh, yeah and uh, we were possibly not quite the youngest people on the boat but very nearly and <laughs> and people say well, what would you want to spend 10 days uh hanging around on this boat with all those old folk for and i'm sat there thinking well um we wanted to go to iceland and it was the cheapest way of doing it <laughs> Yeah. We wanted to spend a couple of days in Iceland, and we had a really—it was really nice. We enjoyed it, but but there were moments on those coach trips where the, getting the old—they the, would announce you've got half an hour here, and then as we were going back to the bus, you'd see people who just joined the queue for to buy themselves a coffee, and mm. it's it it must be like herding cats. It really must be to try and get a coach group onto a coach, and you get that madness. You know, you get you get the sense within the story of of this thing of being at a different hotel every day and how chaotic that world is. And if you're trying to be the person organising it, you'd, it's just beautifully portrayed. I just really wanted to give give that a flag up. Poor Madge. Hello, butlers, wrong way. Oh, we're oh, Colonel Walker. No, not that way. Ross, you, you really... Miss, Miss Marple, could you? The King Alfred room. Thanks so much. Could you, Mr. Peel? Heavens, thanks. Within this, uh, for various reasons of the machinations of uh, Mr. Raphael, uh, yeah. Miss Marple is brought together with the the Bradbury Scott girls. Yeah, gets to go and stay with them. You know, there are yeah. all sorts of there are all sorts of things being pulled. It's like the professor is there because of uh, this. Even Miss Temple is there because of the machinations of Jason Raphael. I do love the um, references to the Bradbury Scott girls. Mm. There go the Bradbury Scott girls. <laughs> and they're kind of like maids in decay, aren't they? They, It's really sort of, well, that's a bit like State of Decay, maids in decay, alternative title for nemesis. 
Um, and it's very much about they are central. Their experience is central to the plot, it turns out. And it's the story about old maids more than any other Marple, I think, and what that could mean and why they're old maids and what, what being an old maid would make someone do as well. I think it's really quite interesting because there were so many old maids then in, in the world, I think. Yeah, this is, this is well, again, I mean, that post-war thing where lots of, lots of partners yeah. have, have, have you know, been lost to a war. But uh, I think there's also, it's very much within this episode, this sense of language and the politeness of the time, which mm. I, I suppose is the thing that people think they've lost, you know. I mean, I mean we, we, are, we are living in less couth times than we once did. Did you know her? I had no idea. You, you do mean Verity Hunt, I suppose. No idea what I mean, I'm afraid. Poor Miss Temple said it before she died. Just that. Verity. Of course, it means the truth, but... Uh... Oh. oh, dear. Have I said something I shouldn't? I'm so sorry. That's all right, Miss Marple. My sisters were extremely fond of her, that's all, and... She was killed, quite dreadfully, murdered. Anthea, for heaven's sake. They found her body in a ditch. She was a girl we cared for. Very much. She lived here for a number of years. I was very fond of her. I didn't say that you... She was terribly fond of you. She... Her life should have been... She... Everything. See this, this house that's falling into ruin, which again is a mm. metaphor for lots of things, but, yeah. uh, but this sense that, that the, the rich can do anything and, you know... And how this 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 when when he was suspected of this murder, the the young Raphael boy, society closed ranks and got rid of him. He got the message and good riddance, you know. Yeah. It's uh, this sense that that there is still even underlying this sense of you know post offices and you know parcels and all this kind of thing. There is this sense that oh we didn't like him and we got rid of him. We drove him out. You know. Because basically two girls have died, one of which everybody seems to not care very much about, and one of which was the, the lovely, delightful, charming, brilliant, angelic Verity. And this is, in this, is exactly the very richly drawn class divide situation mm. here. Absolutely. Um, because the other girl's not important because she was, she was common, basically. Mm. And her mother played beautifully um, the gin-soaked character played by Lynn Oh, Fraser. That, that is just gorgeous. That scene, isn't it? Is absolutely. I mean, it's it's she's in it for this one scene, Liz Fraser, and it's brilliant. I couldn't believe it. Not really. Not deep down. For weeks I couldn't. Then in the end, I realised it, it would be nonsense not to. Oh, it's. 
she would have been in touch somehow or something. Little soft cow knew what I was like. She would want to torture me. No. She's dead and gone. Someone got her. Poor little... quite a scene isn't it and it just it's such a brilliant contrast as well to the Bradbury Scots what she is and what what she was to as a mother to her kid and yeah well, I think this is the beauty of Christie actually you get these these real people and that's the thing it, there's a reality to it and you get mm. these moments where you get these real genuine people and, mm. and beautifully played by, by actors like Liz Fraser and it's it's it takes your breath away because it's so good yeah yeah so good um i did want to say something about the um the manor house where the bradbury scott girls mm. live um, girls and um, <laughs> the fact that it's it's in decay it very much reminded me of the vicarage that we used to live next to so mm. when we moved to north northumberland um my we weren't given the old vicarage to live in it was the first time they decided that actually we're going to build a new vicarage just mm. for the vicar and his family because the old vicarage on a vicar's wages you couldn't actually heat or upkeep the old vicarage anymore mm. so they they sold it off but this was a sprawling old mansion with grounds which included an old tennis court which had gone to you know which had overgrown and it even had a wing that was hidden that you mm. didn't know was there and, and when the owners bought it, they actually invited us over one day to break through into this room to see this old room <laughs> with old wallpaper. It was just amazing. It was like, oh, my God, this is so Miss Marple. But but that feel when she's showing them around the tennis court and all that, it's just like that those old estates that, mm. that fell into decay and just that feeling of the, that link with the past that has gone but was this opulence of a time where there was more money and there was, there was tennis parties mm. and... Just, just a sense that you get of the twenties and thirties that's now in decline. I think you can, you can see why the certainly Americans loved this series. You can oh, see yeah. this whole thing of English country churches and villages and manor houses and it, and this sense of a, of a thing that it, it, it is. It you can see why they love it. It's just, it's just opulent, and yet we know it's sort of declining opulence. And of course, the underlying thing is everything is collapsing. Really. The old order is collapsing. Mm. Yeah. Now, a really interesting thing that um, I didn't know before was um, from that book by Aldrich was that Alan Plater didn't even know when he wrote Emergence Announced in which years it was meant to be set. Mm. He said he didn't even know whether he was meant to be writing about this being set in the 80s. Mm. So initially he didn't even have a clue that they were definitely going to do it as a period. historical period mm. drama. Isn't that interesting? No, no, it's, not, it's interesting. And of course he would yeah. have actually, about this the time he was writing... Um, Murderers announced he would have probably been working on um, Spider Man. Of course. Because that's wow. you know, 84, yeah. 85. It must have. Yeah. You, it's kind of, you do wonder whether some of the, the sort of murder mystery tropes are the things that crept into yes, Spider Man. Of course. You know. Yeah. Still available. Yes. For <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. so, you see, um, the interesting thing about to me about because uh, I wrote this down uh, watching it, is that there's very much I get the feeling in, in, in Nemesis that there is you're starting to get the 
the Miss Marple tropes. I get confused sometimes between the stories in my head because there are hints of the vicar at Bertram's hotel. Mm. Uh, there are hints of um, a body in the library. Yeah. You know, yeah. you do get these, uh, and they sometimes cross over. You know, so you get these 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 sort of uh, elements that are in other stories that start to feed back in. And of course, when you realise that Nemesis was, you know, the last story that was written up there by Christie about Miss Marple, maybe that mm. that that's actually uh, meant. There's a beautiful. I mean, there's a f couple of beautiful scenes with the professor. Actually, there's the, the one where they talk about be the ghosts and being the puppet master. Uh, yes. You know, of, uh, the, the, you know the, all their strings are being pulled from beyond the yes. grave. You know, lovely, yeah. but there's also a, a lovely thing which which um, where he talks about her as a, a bloodhound and avenging angel. You know, a gossipy old lady being the perfect camouflage, and that's kind of like that's the modus operandi of all of Marple in one small scene. You know, there she is, Mr. Raphael's bloodhound, his avenging angel. She looks so harmless, doesn't she? Her camouflage is perfect because she is partly just what she seems. A gossipy old village lady. But her logic is ruthless. And her powers of synthesis formidable. And above all, she never lets go. Pip's favourite scene, actually, in it is the, the one in the post office where she plays the absent-minded absent oh, yes. um, little yes. old lady about the past yeah. and finds out everything she wants to know. Which makes you think, <laughs> whenever you're standing in a queue and there's a little old lady in front of you, Beware! You should never underestimate little old ladies. They may, <laughs> they may be there with their laser-like brain. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> taking it all in. I used to say, I mean, yeah. it's a bit, bit, bit long ago now. But there was, there was a, there was a, a thing once where, uh, must have been when I was a student, where somebody, uh, where somebody was saying, "Oh, they, they bloody hell, I can't stand these old people or whatever." And I just said, "Ah, well, yes, but don't, if, don't forget when they were your age, they were bayoneting Germans." <laughs> exactly. Because I'm a swine. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right, though. I mean, I think that that's so true that old people are, are the elderly are so dismissed, but you know mm. their experiences are mm. so important. And yeah, yeah. I, 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 th I thought you'd. I also also thought you'd like the line that's in that last episode of that academics don't eat off gold plates. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought that yeah. would that would resonate, you know. Yeah, totally. Everybody, yeah. everybody's doing everything for the money, really. But I mean, when it when when it it's it's why are you here, Professor? <laughs> well, for the money. <laughs> yes, this is brilliant. He's so upfront about that. Well, why else would I be here? Because you know, Marple's not in it for the money. She's in it for the mystery. She's like, well, this is she's it. got to solve the riddle. But, yeah, right. and yet we know she's going to get twenty thousand pounds. That would be a nice little stipend for her to retire on. I loved how she's kind of like a bit like oh. <laughs> she's getting a bit shocked about how much it is yeah. but you can also see her mentally thinking well that'd be like I can get all those biscuits <laughs> I'll be able to buy have a biscuit for myself oh, yes and a tea service <laughs> and those and what's that thing she's always buying the um, the handkerchiefs the sets of handkerchiefs yes she likes <laughs> handkerchiefs doesn't she bless her <laughs> I do think um, one aspect of the writing in this was, was interesting was there's very much a feeling of fairy tale mm and a romantic sense mm. around the character of Verity and around what Clotilde wants for her and around 
the way Anthea is, mm. there's a kind of an unreality to their existence, mm. which is is of storybook and of fairy tale mm. and of existences. We're well, living in a closed real. world as well. Sometimes, you know, yes. we're, we're all getting a bit of that at the moment with the lock-in. You know, totally. Everybody's yes. getting their worldview and not much else because there's not yeah. much else they're seeing from beyond it, and and we can all suddenly build our own little fairy tales about, you know, <laughs> and the claustroph and the claustrophobia of that, mm. um, in which is what we're all feeling. But also, I mean, that's what effectively kills Verity, well, because of the experiences of those characters and. And that cl- closeness that's too close mm. that um, causes the situation. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the scenes, the sc- I mean, the, the weeping is mm. so haunting, isn't it? Mm. Weeping outside. And mm. In fact, I, I talked to my elder sister just before coming on to do the podcast today, mm. and she said, "Oh, Nemesis! That's the one where they're looking out the window and there's a woman crying in the garden." Mm. She's like, "That was the scene she got immediately." Yeah. You know, you know, it's so resonant. Yeah, it it really does. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a there's a there's a real uh, there's a real sense. You know, the sad character. There's a real richness to it. You know, real moments in this. Like mm. I say, I mean, you may go back to that Liz Fraser scene. You know, it it, it you 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 almost couldn't have a scene that was more 1950s <laughs> mm. <laughs> from the makeup and and the, and the way she was living and everything like that. And mm. and it, it it's just, there there is a sense of of loss as well. You know, real sense of heartbreak and everyone they're all sort of kept you know keeping calm and carrying on but there's so much tragedy and so much sadness within this you know we should talk about um, and margaret tyzak is just Superb as Clotilde Brophy Scott. This is really got... what brings us to the end of the episode and, and yeah. the, the denouement, which is so, quite frankly, terrifying. Because she is, quite frankly, terrifying. Because she was terrifying as Antonia, wasn't she? And I <laughs> it's interesting, we, we, we mentioned that uh, yesterday. I mean, because um, uh, it, it's funny enough, she, pl- she plays a quite lovable, uh, tra- tragic person in uh, the, the final Quatermass serial. Ah, Just to yeah. get back to that. But. Um, but you know, play, plays more her own age in that for once, you know. Mm. And uh, but uh, we, we were just, you know, people <laughs> were saying how 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 terrifying she was. I go, yeah, but you know, she was quite terrifying when she shut her daughter in a room until she died. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's not the kindest of acts. No. Yes. And of course, though, so this becomes the second uh, thing we've watched where she also commits suicide. So. So we we, ha- we have the Tizak connection sorted out. Yes, honestly, we are so doing cousin bet for C. You're <laughs> going to be astonished. You're you're not going to believe how good it is. Um, I'm, so, I'm, st- I'm still I'm still trying to get over this this the whole the the the, the two words milky drink can become quite so sinister. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, because I love that scene where Miss Marple says, "I don't think it would be very good for me." <laughs> No. Let's not pull any punches here. Margaret Tyzak done it. Yeah, <laughs> she is our villainess, and in, yeah. in, and at the end of this, she is she is out to to murder everyone who has worked out that she's done it, and that, she, <laughs> yes, exactly. that, in, that includes uh, the lovely uh, Miss Marple. Good evening, Miss Bradbury Scott. I saw your light on. I uh, wondered 
If I had drunk my milky drink. What? I haven't, I'm afraid. I didn't think it'd be good for me. I think you know what I mean. If you want some more milk, I'll go and get it for you. I shouldn't drink it if you did. What an extraordinary person you are. Is this a little foible of yours or what? Once upon a time, Miss Bradbury Scott, a young girl lived in this house. Well loved, innocent, untouched. Too well loved, too innocent, too untouched. So when a young man came to claim her, as you knew one day he must, her very innocence was a star which guided her to love him. There is a beautiful, beautiful scene where basically uh, Miss Marple does this romantic vision of the late Verity and then turns yeah. and says, and then just turns in an instance and says, no, she's a rotted corpse, you know, yes. and and then Tyzak turns again and it's this, you foul old woman, you hag, you know. Yes. And, and it, it, it's terrifying. It's because, it's because Clotilde does not want to be presented with the truth. No. She wants it still to be this fairy tale of her beautiful girl that is preserved as Sleeping Beauty in the mm. ruins. But Miss Marple's like, no, this is the truth of this situation. Mm. This is what this this is. Mm. And it's just, ah, oh, it's just perfectly done. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. I, I want to mention as well um, two characters, two actors who were in Nanny, which mm. is a Guy Slater thing. Um, Anna Cropper as Anthea Bradbury Scott, okay. who is really good in the sense that she's an older actress playing someone who's trying to be younger than she is and hasn't quite grown up. And I think that's done brilliantly. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Jane Booker, who is fantastic in Nanny in the second series. She plays a lady um, of a hall and she is the, the main one of the two detectives, the one who's in charge, the two Miss Cook and Miss Barrow. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think they're both very good performances even though they don't have a huge amount of material they communicate mm. their characters brilliantly and we, and we must give a, a peter copley nod i think well do we he was rude to me once so he's <laughs> off the list <laughs> vengeance by podcast no um. <laughs> yeah that's what this is he was very rude to me once by letter it's yeah. interesting. It is actually interesting because letters uh, are also one of the. Under I mean, you get you get the scene in the post office, but the whole thing is set up by letters, and you know there are, there are one, so a, a couple of wonderfully pompous solicitors who are terrible snobs. <laughs> yeah, but I love their characters. Oh yes, that's what I'm saying. They are terrible yeah. snobs, but it's beautiful yeah. because the yeah. difference between the, the strata of society. Is you almost feel it's funny you always feel they the two solicitors should have got got a, a, a spin-off and they also think that the two spy ladies feel like they should have had a series you know? yeah they would have done well you know it's this this sort of you know this these two sort of senses of of uh, had had it gone on you kind of think oh i'd have i'd have watched a series of the of the, of the two bodyguard ladies quite frankly yeah was it cook and barrow that's it. Cook and Barrow is a good name. Yeah. <laughs> Barrow and Cook. Cook and Barrow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Skillbeck and Booker. Mm. So, 
I think we're probably there, are we? On them? Pretty much. I, I, I'm slightly disappointed by by the fact that the homeless guy becomes a bit of a posho at the end, but you know. But he was honestly only there to look really good looking when he shaved. And honestly, indeed, and, indeed, <laughs> and, and indeed, you know, is is a is a deviation from the, from the, the story itself. You know, I, yeah. I did want to briefly just you know, well, touch on a couple of things. I mean, Peter Tilbury also is in Fortunes of War, of course. Which is, uh, oh, is he? Yes, he's in one episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw, I've seen him in something recently. What is, have I seen him in? Honestly, it turns out it was Fortunes of War. Oh, I know who he is. He's the one who has the dog in Athens. There you go. He is, isn't he? That's yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and again, the the uh, I, I, there is a there is a lovely uh, there is a lovely scene with the uh, uh, well, it's, it, the the death of or the way that the the hospital scenes are played. I think mm. is is extremely well done. When you just see the clock, and I, I just think the, that sense and the flashing red light, which tells you that. That's it. She's gone. You know, I think again the directorial touches in this. Are, I, I do. I think. I think that you know that second episode, the uh, whatever it was, fifty-three minutes or whatever, is almost the most perfect fifty-three minutes of anything you'll see ever. I think it's gorgeous. Mm. You know, and I know you're you're fonder of other series, but I just I I, I sat there yesterday afternoon thinking, you know, I, that that was just bloody great. <laughs> There is also a thing I, I did want to briefly touch on, which is the the uh, for, for no very good reason other than it it appeals to me is the title sequences uh, for this. Oh yes, we haven't talked about um, it because they are um, really of very much of their era. But these these beautiful paintings, which basically mm. are all dealing in uh, Christie tropes. I'm, I don't I don't honestly remember there ever being a body on an outfield of a cricket pitch in any Christie, but I may be wrong. No. But uh, but somehow you get that sense of village life and and yeah. sort of sinister ladies gossiping in doorways and and mm. and, 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 and and sort of you know, posh ladies in windows of big houses and all this. Kind but of it thing. always confuses me though because there's two different title sequences, isn't there? There's one has there a are. dark-haired lady in a in yeah. a house and one's got a blonde-haired lady. And it always like confuses me that does. Apparently the, yeah. the, the they changed them after the first four stories. I've never really noticed, you know. I did, uh, I did notice that instead of the, uh, the the sort of like needlepoint version of of Joan Hickson, you get a more full painted version. Yes, uh, which is kind of green. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But of course, that's the other thing that that Joan Hickson's name doesn't appear in the titles. Her face does, obviously, but 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 mm. it's, it's always featuring uh, Joan Hickson as, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which is which is kind of an interesting way of doing it. I mean, I don't know whether that's just something to do with having an elderly actress, and, and you know, <clears throat> you know, thinking. Mm. But but no, because you would have had to remake them anyway, you know. But uh, it's just it's just interesting the way the way it's um, structured is. She's always the first person on the on the names that flash up, but she's not. Her name isn't in the actual title sequence. You know. Yeah. But I mean, I just think it's, it's just a lovely title sequence i think it isn't it isn't you know it does give you that world and of course it the you know the style of the drawings is is so very again of the era you know i mean they are i vaguely remember i get this with with poirot as well they seem to have decided to set them all in the same decade even though they were the characters themselves featured in books across several decades yeah and uh so i think you know there is a certain amount of moving stuff around so because they're all in the 50s now aren't they every single one is set in the 50s yes this, that's this, right this set of 12 and yeah. um you know and and they are you know i i don't think there's a duff one amongst them is there really you know it's um um 
I, you know. Yes, there is. Oh, there is. Okay. They do it with mirrors. Mm, I'm not over keen. And nor was Joan Hickson, so I'm in good company. Which is um, weird because that's you know having persuaded her to come back to kill one. Yeah, really it just enjoy. it just doesn't work because of the home for young offenders, which they don't quite pull off, and it's mm. a, it's an awkward match with her in it. It it just I think it's just the fact it's a difficult book to adapt. Yes, and nothing more than that. It's just I think it it really struggles. And I remember at the time I was thinking, oh, that's the first Miss Marvel I didn't enjoy. Oh, right. so um, yeah, that's odd. But um, I mean, I really struggle to pick a favourite because I also love Sleeping Murder and right. I love 450 from Paddington with mm. Lucy Isles Barrow. That's just amazing. Mm. Um, who else? What else? I'm trying to think of the other ones now. Bertram's, I like. I really like Bertram's. Yeah, Bertram's, which is so different. It's trying mm. to do something very different and it's mm. also about times are changing, that one as well, very much. And to be honest, uh, Sleeping Murder is the one I always mix up with Nemesis. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, okay. Just, you know, yeah. There was a murder a long time ago. Um, yeah. I just think that Geraldine, what is she called? Alexander. Yes. Is astonishing in that. And mm. I just think, honestly, people remember from Vengeance on Varos, and it just annoys mm. me because it's like she was nothing in that. And then she mm. gets to play this glorious part in Sleeping Murder. Mm. And it's one of the best performances in any 50, that is. But again, murder at the vicarage, you know, Paul Eddington. It, 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 it's yeah. A, you know, but I mean, again, a, a personal favourite for us is a Caribbean mystery. You know, it's just, ah, okay, that's one I I think I've only seen a few times. So why is it so? so I good think again, it's I think it's maybe it's this idea that it would be quite nice to sit on beaches, but <laughs> knitting <laughs> on deck chairs. I don't know. It's just you know, I don't. I, but again, interestingly enough, because of of the times we are now are, are now <clears throat> in. Yeah, um, the uh, it's one of the few that actually is more um, international in it. Um, you know, yeah, as 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 a, a more diverse cast. You know, and gives yeah. and gives and gives quite a, you know sympathetic um, portrayal of, of you know mm. of, of obviously you know the nineteen fifties view of uh, voodoo and the like can be a little bit suspect at times, but actually it's 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 handled with a quite light touch. You know. Mm. And, and well, they, actually went, beca- uh, they actually went to the hotel where Christie wrote it as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I have become more um, aware over the last few weeks, uh, actually, uh, because of various campaigns that are going on. It's astonishing how white middle class so much drama is. You know, yeah. when you when you start to uh, look at it, you do start to realise, God, yeah, you know. And again, it's only when you sort of you actually become aware of it. We start. We you know we we were watching weirdly. We were watching a Star Trek film, you know, and uh, a Star Trek film. You suddenly realise, God, this is just middle class white America, <laughs> you know. And it's it's yeah. just it's just really odd that the minute you pick up on it, you know, you're starting to. We've been rewatching Buffy, you know. Yeah. And again, it's that same kind of sense that oh God, everything is so white. geared towards a particular worldview. Yeah. You know, and and well you, I, well, you couldn't do it now, and you shouldn't do it now because no. there has to be better representation. Yeah, and that's just just it's not even a, it shouldn't even be an argument or a discussion. It should just be that's what you do. Yeah, and the, but this is the thing. Anyway. But you be but but, but <clears throat> you know you do become more and more aware of it as time passes. It it it, it is just interesting. I mean, I I'll be sort of looking back through our 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 list of what we've done so far, and you know, a lot of it's very. It's 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 not very one note, but from a very, very particular 
worldview, you know? Yeah, no, you're yeah. right. Yeah. And again, ah. it's, it's the nature of sort of de delving into archive television is that's, you know, to a certain extent, what was made. You can only look at what was made, but it does, it does make you think, really. It does just make you think, you know, when you start mm. to look at it deeply, that the diversity is, is, is not, not there until relatively recently. Yeah. Gosh. Anyway. So, uh, one thing I wanted to say, just to finish off, is if you wanted to go to Chipping Cleghorn, <laughs> or to Abbey Ducis, then to go to Chipping Cleghorn from Murders and Ants, you go to Power Stock in Dorset, which is just north of West Bay. And for um, Nemesis, um, Abbey Ducis is Chipping Camden, um, which is um, Cotswolds, isn't it? I think. Um, Nether Wallop is... is <laughs> Yeah, I love that name. Nether Wallop is what's it called? St Mary Mead. Right. So, yeah. So they're places to go if you want to relive that. I don't think they've changed that much. Right. I think we're done. Do you feel we've do we've we've done done uh, Agatha Christie a certain amount of service in this? Or <laughs> do I you think feel it was an interesting discussion. I do. I do. I think. Um, I think we chose some good ones, and mm. I think it was. It was a fair assessment. I mean, we know we love it. We love mm. that that series, and we think it was done so well. Excellent. Um, yeah. Well, we better drift off. So we are now officially halfway through. Yay. That was. This is episode thirteen. Gosh. And and so, so quickly. Halfway through the alphabet. How quickly we've got this far, really. We yeah, weren't expecting to, to, were we? Thanks to coronavirus. <laughs> Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's not cheer it. No, no, or clap for it. No. no. <laughs> <sighs> so, we shall return with the letter N mm. in two weeks' time, mm. presumably. Ish. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Um, until then, it's been fun to go back to, um, to Miss Marple. Were you there? Oh, yes, sorry, yes. <laughs> I thought you were talking to the listener. Sorry. <laughs> I was just waiting to butt in with my farewell. Waiting for me to shut the fuck up. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you, no you sign off. I, did. I, I didn't you say a word. <laughs> you sign off, Martin. Go. Okay, take care. Have a good time. Bye-bye. Bye. That's -bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Listening to an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. Next time, nice work.